0: Welcome to episode number 100 of the Becoming Human podcast. Holy shit, 100 episodes. Wow, it's been quite, the, quite the ride. I've learned so much about interacting with other people, my own thoughts and perspectives on the world, and just what it is like to be to be a person who is trying to overcome their own set of challenges and figure out their own sense of meaning, whether consciously or subconsciously, a lot has changed over my life since I started this podcast. And that's perhaps like my favorite part is the diversity of challenges that I could to encounter. And hopefully... (laughs) Overcome. I guess not even overcoming, more than that is learn to sit with them, be with them. This episode feature is a swap cast uh, featuring my pal Benjamin Warrior from the Authentic Warrior podcast. He invited me on to talk a little bit about um, what got me into podcasting and how I'm cultivating my lifestyle and overcoming the challenges that I've been presented. And it was really cool to be able to share in my experiences with someone else. Cause Benjamin seemed to have a very similar upbringing as I did. And
1: yeah. it's
0: really nice because When I was growing up, sometimes I'd feel so alone with my challenges. It's like I always hung on to that notion by myself, but not alone, right? And as I've grown up, I just realized that the main reason why I felt so alone was because I never talked about them. I was always afraid. And that was like confirmation bias, I suppose, because I never shared it. I never understood that there are other people who had similar experiences as I did. And as I'm encountering people who have had to overcome challenges that are relative to my own, I mean, a lot of us have, right? A lot of us have similar experiences to one another. Even if you've lived like a horrible, traumatic, fucked up life, like you just, you can find some semblance of humanity in there, right? Because it's like a human experience, whether it was postmodern or a thousand years ago, right? It's just a different layer, different surface. Anyways, it was a joy to be able to talk with Benjamin, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did. He's got some killer music to start off with, some goopy stuff, and then we head into the conversation and yeah well i hope you guys are enjoying your summer out there without any further ado here is my podcast on the authentic warrior radio show with benjamin warrior till next time y'all cheers
2: this is benjamin warrior you're listening to authentic warrior radio it's a podcast devoted to authenticity resilience and communication between diverse and passionate people. Thank you for tuning in. And don't forget a healthy dose of antics,
3: insanity, and humor. Hi there. Today we have a fantastic episode featuring Will Nelson of the Becoming Human podcast as well as an exclusive studio performance by the nationally renowned child psychologist and author Dr. Sylvan Flugikwam, CPD, and his guitarist counterpart Brianne Yacquist. Dr. Flugikwam, has published over 30 award-winning books, such as his recent bestseller entitled A Guide to Nastiness, The Art of Teaching Children Self-Respect by Using Abrasive Communication, and his previous bestseller, Instilling Self-Esteem, Empowering your kids by cutting them off after demanding that they speak. His music has been making its way across North America, its wake sweeping the upper middle class Waldorf moms off of their feet and directly into his bed. You can personally thank Dr. Flugikwam by leaving a comment at his website, www.CharlatanFatherOfTheYear.com. And without any further ado, here is his performance. <sighs>
4: your mom pregnant. Twice. Here you are, yeah. And I love you so much. No matter how many times you get lice. I'm always gonna shave your head and give it kisses. After removing all the nits. And all the ones that burrowed into your scalp. I'm gonna always remove them With a fine-toothed comb Cause I love you Oh, I love you So I'm gonna tell you right now And I'm only gonna tell you once Then I might tell you twice Then I might tell you three goddamn times But eventually I'm gonna be like the goddamn thing i told you the first time yeah yeah what do you think that thing is i'm gonna give you one guess and right when you start to guess i'm gonna cut you off i'm gonna be like it If the answer wasn't go do the laundry, or do the dishes, or sweep the floor, or vacuum the floor, or wipe the counters, or clean the bathroom, or pick up all the shit out of my living room. Well, if the answer wasn't one of those things, then you're wrong. I love you so goddamn much. I hope you would keep these words with you. Take them out into the world When you're older, yeah Gonna be like, well, my dad He was weird as hell, but he loved us Every once in a while he was nasty But I know why, yeah yeah It was because, it was because My dad freaking wanted us To grow up and take care of our bodies and our house And have self-respect Give respect to all the people that I share space with Cause nobody should ever make anybody live in filth Never, 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 never and Most of all, that person who deserves the goodness And the cleanliness and the godliness and love is yourself because ultimately the person who treats everybody else with respect that person, they learn it from treating themselves that way first to the golden laundry so you don't end up with scabies because nobody wants to have scabies nobody wants ringworm or mercer no 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 oh, no no oh. everybody wants to be buff and strong so eat your guy. you can So you gotta be the best damn person that you can To yourself, yeah And then be that person to everyone in your vicinity And everybody That you have a ripple effect on, yeah It's what you do on this side of the world Affects the shit that happens on the other
2: side next, yeah
4: Oh yeah Don't be throwing shit away Nah Don't be buying shit you don't need Nah Reuse everything Yeah Be somebody That your own children Are gonna look up to When you grow older And make kids yourself Cause it's not just banging people It's getting them pregnant And having little people that look like you Nah First thing you gotta do Do your dad and love yourself, you? Oh yeah. (laughs) That's the end of my song. Thank you, thank
5: you, Brian. Thank you. All right, I got a few things I want to say before I'm ready to get started on the episode. First off, I want to say thank you to my Patreon subscribers. Matt Hagam, Mike Rowe, Chris Cook, Molly the Cop, Megan, Zanzetti Mac, McDisley Bear, Baker Story. I also wanted to say thank you to Taj over at tajai.com. That's T as in, Texas, A as in, Android, J as in, Jeopardy, E as in, Excellent, Y as in, Yeah, yeah, E as in, Excellent. Taj is an excellent artist, he does uh, beautiful things, he's in fact been on this podcast one at a time, going to be twice, keep your ears peeled on that one, if you can manage to do that, I know how people peel their ears open, it sounds like it hurts, but go for it, I highly recommend it, especially when Tajai is on this episode, thanks Tajai, for creating such a beautiful logo on my podcast. Thank you for everything you've done. It's been very helpful and excellent, and I love it. Do I say thank you? One more thing. If you're listening to this and you want to help me out, go to iTunes and subscribe and give me a review. And also, please, by all means, please go to patreon.com slash Radio and become a subscriber. There's things there that I promise you. I will promise you and they may or may not come true. But I will make the promise, and you will not regret it, because chances are you'll forget that you've been supporting my podcast with one, two, five, to 10, or maybe $50 a month. Depends on how much attention you pay to your money. Thank you, thank you. All of you, thank you very much. Please enjoy this episode.
2: Okay, we're recording. All right, sounds good, man. So, Will Nelson... Yes, Benjamin. Who has, he's the guy who is the proprietor of the Becoming Human podcast. Oh. And we're apparently going to cross post these. So this is my first time being on a podcast of not my own. (laughs) I can't talk. I can talk perfectly fine. And then I turn on the fucking, I hit the record button. I'm like,
0: dude, this is, that's exactly how it is when, when I uh, take people rock climbing, especially kids, like they'll be on like little boulders and stuff like that and climbing around without ropes. And I'm constantly having to tell them, be careful, because if you, like, if you climb up any higher, you're going to slip, fall, and, like, all I'm picturing in is death. they probably just get, like, bruised and stuff, but, like, I get nervous. And they're like, no, no, it's fine. And I constantly have to, like, just just encourage them to, to keep their safety in mind, right? And, and teach them risk management. And, like, these are, like, anywhere between uh, four to um, 18-year-olds, you know? And then when I put them on rope, though, They, like, climb five feet. It's hard. It's hard for me, too. But they climb five feet, and they can't get up anymore. And it's like, where did all your confidence go? But, like, once everything was on, right, it felt real. Mm -hmm. And it was on the forefront of their mind. And, yeah, that could be be pain sometimes.
2: (laughs) So who... Like what, what is your, describe your podcast. So, um, when I was younger,
0: I, most of the people that were around me had a dysfunctional lifestyle. Um, and I didn't really have many role models. The ones that I would find were on movies and, um, and those seemed unattainable, right?
2: Holy shit! <laughs> this is so close to home. <laughs> yeah, Jean Claude Van Damme was my father figure. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> see?
0: <laughs> and I, I couldn't put it together. I was like, oh, that's not, might not be for me. And then I would like, I start working right around like twelve years old, right? And uh, as a dishwasher, and I'm like, oh, this sucks. I don't, I don't want to do this at all. And <laughs> all I thought was that I was lazy because my mom would always be like, well, you got to work, you know, and, and work's really important because you got to provide and, and all of those things. And it sucks. You just got to deal with it. Like, oh, that doesn't feel good to me. Yeah. And like school was kind of a similar thing. I just had my own interest. I like to be on my own and try to like figure things out and, you know, and, and share it with people. But the people that I shared it with, um, they're more interested in like partying and stuff. So um, they weren't, they weren't too interested in those things, you know? And I went through my whole course of like uh, overdosing on, on like um, on drugs and then getting alcohol poisoning and stuff like that. Um, and then even having a kid, when I was younger, right? I was just like fully entrenched in this. What I thought was um, with my role models is like family, right? Because all these people the biggest thing that they're most proud of is like being a mother, being a father. Right. And you find that in like poverty scenarios and, um, and other dysfunction, right. Cause people usually have more children and it's usually like your way out, even especially with like social services. Um, and as I was going forward though, I would start to meet people in the community, um, who, who did inspire me, you know, like actual, like people who felt real, who weren't just like pixels on the screen dancing around, you know, and, uh, like all the way from, an author who came into my school, um, Ben Michelson, he was, he wrote the book touching spirit bear. And that's all about, um, him finding this like albino bear up in Alaska and his whole experience. And it, it's really for people who, who are in dysfunction and come out of dysfunction, you know, and create stability and bear responsibility, right? So, like, I really looked up to him, and I, I asked him, you know, what it was like to write, because I got to ask questions, you know, um, after he gave his speech. And he said that he was a horrible writer. He had the worst spelling, man. And, like, but when he was in college, college professor encouraged him to keep writing, because he's like, it's not really, that's what an editors are for, man. It doesn't have to be perfect. And then he just write and write and write. But anyway, As I was getting older, like, I would see people who who would inspire me here and there. And I, all I wanted to do is find a way to be able to get closer to them. And I was so afraid of becoming like the dysfunction around me, which Mm -hmm. I was at a lot of times. I'm not perfect by any means. And... Over a lot of trials and tribulations, I got to the point to where, like, looking at what Rogan was doing and um, for podcasting, Tim Ferris, a lot of people I look up to, Jocko Willink, um, I realized that, you know, why not just start, right? And I'm a socially awkward kind of person. And Do you hear that? Yeah, I do hear that.
2: wonder if that's oh. going to pick up. Is it? That- Hold on. Let me just... Yeah.
0: Being socially awkward... Um, I was afraid of podcasting, right, and, and what they were doing, but at the same time, I thought it would be a great platform to be able to talk with these people, because I learned through reading some books and podcasting, also listening to podcasts, uh, specifically business ones, that there's a little known secret, is like, if you can somehow present yourself as a media person, right? <laughs> even if you're not entirely like you're not with the New York Times or something let's say you started up a magazine and it was an online magazine right just now it would be a blog but um and you used a name that sounded like pretty official right and if you contacted that person and asked them to talk with you and answer some questions, they most likely would. And so that's kind of where it went from. And I used it to, to build my social skills because I knew if I can talk to people, then, you know, that would be the way through anything that I wanted to learn. Because um, that prevented me from doing like martial arts at times because I wouldn't want to go in because, you know, you all nervous about these people and what they think of you. And it's like, do a fucking podcast. It's going to build all those skills. Mm-hmm. You know, and so why not? And that's where the whole becoming human thing came in though. It's cause like I had all this dysfunction around me and you know, dysfunction is inevitable even in like people who, who are rich or poor, who are ugh, enlightened, not enlightened, just all of that shit. Right. Um, but it was just like, what, what is that experience? How, how do you how do you move forward through that suffering and not just get like hung up on mental addictions? And that's kind of just been the voice that the podcast has been, and yeah. all the way from interviewing homeless people to people who are artists and entrepreneurs and the like.
2: That was gonna be that like really ties into a question that I had, which was, um, like, have you ever had a experience where? you are recording and then you're like, you say some shit straight from the heart and then you feel so vulnerable afterwards that you're like, I don't know if I can put that in there. Yeah. Like, how do you handle that? How do you
0: respond? I've been working with that since I was um, really young, actually, because I would be, I was, I do poetry when I was in high school and then just coming out of high school and college as well. And like the things that I were writing about were the things that I wouldn't have anyone to talk to about. Mm-hmm. And I was always very afraid to to show people that mm-hmm. um it even started before then, man. It was when I was like twelve. I would literally like like how you'd make beats right and and you'd really enjoy oh, that man, right around when I I, was,
2: I actually did slam poetry long before I did beats did you
0: oh what that's tight, yeah. man. And when I was like 12, though, I would write stuff and it's poetry. I loved it because there was like there wasn't much of a I'd always do like freestyle. So I didn't have to follow, um, you know, any structure. And for some reason, I resented a lot of structure. Still do. Um, And I would write and write and write. And it was my way of um, figuring out you know, how I felt about things and how I felt about myself and my own personal narrative. And like I would, I had like notebooks and notebooks of things and I've never brought them to people. And it was like three years of doing this. I mean, why don't you just, you know, start sharing it with people? Cause I I wanted to, but that fear kind of kept it away. And one thing led to another and I'd start sharing it to these friends who just, you know, partying and stuff like that and working. They didn't have any interest in the arts that, that I knew. Um, and most of the time, they would—they never make fun of me like I thought they would. Um, first of all, they would recognize that. Oh wow, you actually had like the the courage or the gall to, to say that. You know, to bring this out. I don't know if I could do that. That's all I heard.
2: I do a job interview where I heard that. Really? Yes. <laughs> yeah, they were like, "Can you tell us about something that might be a weakness for you?" And mm-hmm. I was like, "Personally and professionally." And they're like, "Well, either one, I guess." And I was like, "Well, they're all tied together. Like mm-hmm. my professional." Uh, performance is like even if I leave my home life at home my my professional performance is totally tied in with the way that I feel about myself Mm -hmm. and I was like uh, well weaknesses Uh, sometimes I I wonder about my I I have some issues with my self-worth and I start to like Fall victim to feelings of inadequacy or feelings of you know fear i I, I react to my fear of abandonment, <laughs> things like that, and I start seeking out things to help me cope with loneliness and things like that and that 's probably the root of the majority of the bad decisions that I make at this time in my life. <laughs> and they were just like holy shit <clears throat> like just the ability to even know that about yourself let alone like the courage to say that right now mm-hmm. and then they wanted me yeah yeah oh this yeah this was uh uh at Tristar in Vancouver oh really wow yeah. and i was supposed to do an internship up there with them and I couldn't get a visa for it. Oh yeah. That sucks. But, Oh, that's, and
0: that's the thing is like when you do do it, it's surprising, but people are so encouraging. Right. And so that's what's helped because you, you have the, the tangible experience that would reinforce or, or, or de-enforce, right. Your, your fears. Cause when you just put it out there, regardless of how it is, like as long as you're in, you mean well, right. Um, and you're actually like trying then people are always, um, people are often supportive. Right? Mm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Either that or they get uncomfortable themselves because mm-hmm. like, you it's, know, when you're standing in a shop, mm-hmm. like a metal shop, I don't know about you, but when I'm standing in a metal shop or something full of like dudes who don't know how to have this kind of conversation with mm-hmm. themselves, with their family, with their friends, like, mm-hmm. and I start talking like that, I feel like it's something that's relatable to almost everybody, Mm -hmm. no matter who you are, even if regardless of whether or not you're one of those dudes, like Mm -hmm. everybody can relate to these things. It's part of the human experience. And like, but it's not conversation about it among men is generally not supported. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And like when you're having those conversations with people, they get really uncomfortable sometimes because it hits home and Mm -hmm. it's, like hey man like the fuck are you talking about you, you know it's oh. fun
0: though is like to try to navigate those conversations in the most disarming way or mm, in the least disarming way in the most subtle way with and
2: like cur- like I, I present with curiosity mm-hmm, yeah, yeah and like curiosity and just like like it's not a big deal at all mm-hmm, yeah and like it isn't i yeah. was out i don't really go out that much but i was out the other night and this dude um recognize me from Facebook mm-hmm. and one of my childhood friends is his girlfriend, but she broke up with him a while back, I guess I didn't even know who this guy was and he was super wasted and he was like drinking through his grief <laughs> from her breaking up with him and he, Perceived me as a threat. Somehow Ooh. he got this idea that like she and I had a past that she wasn't telling him about or something. And mm-hmm. like this is all coming out of this dude who's like wasted. Oh, yeah. And so for like two hours, he would. Open up and tell me all this stuff, like heart to heart, and then it would lead to him trying to fight me, and I would have to like deescalate that. And whenever I tried to walk away, like I really wanted to walk away, there was other things I wanted to be doing. Oh yeah, of course. But when, I, but I, but whenever I tried to walk away, he would try. He'd be like, "Hey man, where are you going? I'm not done with you." And he'd like try to fight me and shit, and he was trying to act all gangster. Mm-hmm. And then, um, anyway. The night, it ended with him crying in my arms.
0: Yeah, I see, it's beautiful.
2: And then I was, like, just hugging him and holding him and, like, <laughs> like telling him everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And he ended up, like, uh, ask, he was like, hey, this doesn't go anywhere. You don't repeat mm-hmm. this to anybody. You don't tell anybody this happened. And I was mm-hmm. like, dude, first of all, the only people that know both of us are people that I don't really talk to that often. Mm-hmm. But also, there's no shame in what just happened. Yeah. And he's like, no, man, no just say it, just say you won't repeat it. I'm like, fine, but there's no shame. (laughs) I'm like, it's okay, dude. (laughs) It's okay. It took a lot of courage
0: to do what you just did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to be able to give people this, this spaciousness, right? So that they can, they can, they can be angry and, and sad and to not, not, not to cling on those things and take them personally, as long as they're not actually, making the action of harm against you right but anything else it's just like oh that's an angry person
2: but you know what when when we have these conversations that are like in this subtle way and we're like trying to disarm it Mm -hmm. and also like like disarm it and basically (laughs) communicate in a way that's like that is safe. It's yeah. safe.
0: And it's also like like loving, right? Because y- y- there's a thing where there's a balance that you play where I approach you and I see you are in a state of disarray, right? Um, and you can try to be, to show like loving awareness, right? And to, to help that person if they ask it. Um, the line that you walk is n- neurotically trying to fix someone, right? and also, um, causing like drama or a personal situation or ignoring them outright. And like the middle line, you know, it's just trying to be receptive and like, like, like that example, right. Is creating that spaciousness. You could have just been like, oh, here's what went wrong and here are all of your answers. Right. And that's usually like, in, in my opinion, like, that, that, can be very dysfunctional and codependent and then the other one which is like fuck you man or like you start to fight you know or you just completely ignore them but if you're there to be able to give them spaciousness right like that's like true loving awareness but it's compassion holding space it is And, and it can be confused though the fixing part is the part where is a delicate balance because that can feel compassionate but in reality it's not
2: well compassion do you know the root words of compassion nah what is it? uh kom, which means with and then pati which means to suffer nah so to suffer with somebody <laughs> and if you're trying to fix them you're trying to end the suffering <laughs> so that you don't have to experience it with them anymore yeah I like so that. and it's the same with the word passion it's to suffer what are you willing to suffer for <laughs> yeah, yeah what do you love so much that you'll suffer for it oh that's pretty <laughs> But these conversations, though, these safe space holding conversations, Mm -hmm. I feel like this is like something that is lacking between father and son. Yeah. And like, I can tell you that almost every conversation I've ever had where a guy is being, is being like that. Mm -hmm has been with somebody who didn't have a father like that.
0: I would, I would agree. And I I would say that too, for like, just for context, I would say that it's not as important to create a a risk-free space for an individual to, to talk about, right. These experiences, I think it's more of um, encouraging the person to have the the. Emotional um, resilience and coping mechanisms to overcome the discomfort to create their own space. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't mean to interrupt.
2: I, no, I agree. And I think, like, to really trust um, has nothing to do with, like, to be in a a, a situation where there is trust. Like, mm-hmm that goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Both people have to trust themselves more than they, It's not about trusting the other person. Yeah. You can never trust another person. Mm-hmm. You, you just can't, you don't, you, you don't know, but you can trust yourself that no matter what happens with this person, you're going to have your own back and you're going to catch yourself when you fall or, or even if you don't, you'll be okay. Yeah. But, yeah. But I think, yeah, these, these conversations are like father, son conversations that need to happen more and they don't mm-hmm. and they didn't happen. And the response that you get is the response that a boy would have if he had that conversation with his father Mm -hmm. so i end up having these conversations with this guy he ends up crying in my arms Mm -hmm. and hopefully if he remembers any of that he's gonna it's gonna plant a seed in him and he's gonna want to do that for somebody else yeah and it's
0: like um and it'll carry throughout you know and you you would hope that that, like, through those small actions, right, it has that cascade effect. Well, not even, like, it'd be just a repercussion merely of what you're doing because it's not your entire intent. But um, I find that when I, wor- I work with uh, emotionally and behaviorally disabled children in the um, school district, and... Um, and I also teach children in martial arts and at one point gymnastics. And, um, that's the thing that you see often is, is like that disconnect, not even just with like, uh, with a father figure, but with like a deep relationship with, with a paternal, with a paternal figure Mm -hmm. And, and like because I, I watch a lot of these kids I'll, I'll put them in the like for, I'll take kids that, that aren't um, that don't have EBD or emotionally behavioral disability I'll take regular kids and I'll put them in like a rock climbing scenario right and in, in those scenarios you have to be able to teach them to bear the greatest burden which is like keep yourself safe right and treat others with kindness even if you're mad at them or even if you're uncomfortable and then the whole time you're physically going to feel uncomfortable because you got to walk and then at other times you have to make sure you keep yourself safe and then keep that person safe. Like you get to the bottom of this like little treacherous little, you know, hike down. And if you were to trip, you'd roll, 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 roll. Right. But because of the other child, they're helping them keep safe. I'm right behind them reinforcing it. But yeah, that's as far as they know. Right. Awesome. dude. And um, with with that, though, you're teaching these principles because what I see when when I'm within between my son's um, my son's friends um, that, that he hangs out with. Right and he hangs out with the friends from a wide demographic. Some of them, sometimes I wish you would rather not, but I can't, I can't really control that. I can just control how my son copes and deals with things. Um, And then uh, from teaching and working with the the EBD kids, like just the hardest thing is, is like bearing, bearing what they would consider burdens and responsibilities, like uh, whether it's chores or whether it's learning something challenging and difficult or that makes them feel insecure. And then to, to, to do something that is inherently meaningful to them, right like it 's do math, no, or you know do the dishes now, be nice, man like th- those kinds of things, and those things are like it, it, you you find those less often, like those skills and and most of the time it 's yeah absent. Father figures, and that doesn't even mean like in the home necessarily. It even just means like no relationship. Because I even have friends like where their dads, they don't even exchange very many words with them. Dads are very stoic and inside themselves, and it's just like, fuck,
2: man, that's that's painful. Yeah, I live. my the person I called dad, I actually haven't lived with since I was like seven years old and I don't really have a frequent communication with him. Yeah. But I lived with him from three till seven. He was my sister's adopt or he was my adoptive dad. He's my sister's biological. <laughs> and, um, but I remember when I lived with him though, like for one thing, it was like, it was super abusive, but aside from that, like, we didn't really have a lot of interaction. Mm -hmm. He was, I feel like he was really just like needing to be there for himself. Mm -hmm. His upbringing wasn't that great either. And he was, uh, he was this, from what I understand about his upbringing, like he was, He spent a lot of time off on his own as a kid. Mm -hmm. Just that kid off in his own space trying to feel safe somewhere. Yeah. And, like, um, that's what he did as an adult raising us. Like, the reason that there wasn't a lot of communication, he was always, like, painting models or playing Mm -hmm. guitar with his headphones on or, Mm -hmm. like, something like that just for hours. Or, like, he'd be at work, he'd stay late, and we'd be running around at his work, and he'd just be focused on what he's doing. And, like, yeah, that was... That's really fucking common. Mm-hmm. I, and
0: I have the potential for a pull in that direction because I could feel it. And in the sense that like I can have to check my values, not like I get led astray, but I get to the fork in the road and I can feel like running is a good example, right? I got to, for ultra running, it's about 12 hours a week of running. And with that, someday, like I'll have one day where it's like 10 hours straight of running, right? And then the rest of the days you divvy or it's like eight hours straight of running and you divvy up the rest of the hours amongst the week. Right. And like, I can get feeling the, f- the sensation of being so obsessed with something that like, like, well, oh, I could just keep adding more and more and more to this. And this feeling of the concern or like fixation, right. On, on doing that, it can be so enrapturing that I have to be like, Okay, wait, 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 wait. Let's look at the lifestyle that we want to live and let's remember all the movies that we watched when we were a kid, which is absentee fathers and all the fucking movies. <laughs> like Liar, Liar, Carpool, all these things. And I'm like, think of the lifestyle that you want and you're the only person, because I'm a single parent and I have my son 100% of the time. I'm like, think of what you want for your son and and also yourself. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's let's go back over here and I'm going to kind of do these things as much as I can but with the consideration that not even just having my son's value is being able to take him and show him all these things that I like and develop it as a beginner yeah. so that when he's older and independent, then I can be an expert and yeah. like remembering that because there's a, there's the pull there, but I have to have, you know, I have the, I don't know if it's the discipline or just the, just the value and maybe imparted because I have an absent father basically. Yeah,
2: Yeah. For me, like it's like, I need these things in my life to develop myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, if I do that, I become a better father mm-hmm. at the same time, my method of self of like personal development, like if it conflict, if it conflicts with my integrity, like it becomes my method of self-destruction. Mm-hmm. I n- am not the father that I want to be like it, I had kids at a really young age, mm-hmm. so I didn't really get to have, I started working young like you did, like, yeah sounds a lot like the way that I grew up and like I missed out on a lot of the things that you do as a teenager or in your early twenties. And, um, it's really easy for me to get sucked into the things that I enjoy doing because I'm like, trying to have that. Mm -hmm. I never did little league sports Mm -hmm. and now I want to spend all my time doing martial arts. Mm -hmm. Like it's really easy to do that, but my life isn't, shouldn't really be about giving myself a childhood. It should be about giving my kids a childhood. Mm -hmm. And so I have to like, well, I want to include my kids in all the things I do. Mm -hmm. And I also want to make sure that they have access to all the things that they want to do. Um, but it's like definitely a balance because I have to do those things for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, and it's always the the the
0: art. I think is is how one the the art and the preference is, is how one goes about that balance, right? Like I've been
2: parenting yourself, yeah, yeah. and parenting your children at the same time. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Well, that's the thing that I used to say because, like, I. My son was born when I was 17 So I'm 17 days and 17 years Damn. Older than my son Holy And shit. yeah and like I always Would say people like oh that's crazy And I'm like no you don't understand He's like a few steps behind me so Because I, I had like even then look, This isn't hindsight this is Exactly, my mindset at the time um, was that like he's a few steps behind me, and I'll be able to teach him as I go.
2: That's so crazy. Right? Going to be thirty five when he's eighteen. Yeah, oh well, yeah, I think about it all
0: the time. That's what I'm saying. It's like, I got I'm gonna expertise. I'm going to be forty two, like, and
2: my my youngest is eighteen. See, perfect. If you <laughs> like any like
0: any martial arts, any of that stuff, man. There's people who've been like getting martial arts in their mid thirties and then send it large, you know, by <laughs> like their forties. So it's like, yeah.
2: I never, dude. I started martial arts at such a young age. Really? That, yeah. That's what like like it wasn't just movies though. I mean it so I I was really inspired by movies like mm-hmm. that's in the 90s dude is easy to be that kid. Yeah, oh yeah. There's so many fucking classics. But anyway, I uh became the guy that I that I wanted that I I had this idea of this like ultimate dude in my head mm-hmm. and he Wait. wasn't like GI Joe. Mm-hmm. But he was, like, he was a teacher and a leader and, like, Mm -hmm. somebody who, like, who was respectable Mm -hmm. and, like, was kind and compassionate and all the things. But he was also, like a ninja. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And like Mm. I became that guy. (laughs) Yeah. He was Jean-Claude Van Damme. (laughs) That's right. See, you were, you were in that era of martial arts
0: movies. I completely missed that boat. I didn't get exposed (laughs) to martial arts until like seven years ago. Like I knew of it, but I didn't know of it that well. And like, that'd be such a powerful, almost like comic books, very similar. be such a powerful thing to grow up with. Right. Yeah. And like, it almost imparts like a certain level of tradition on you would I be right to assume that?
2: Well, you, you see all those stupid fucking Hollywood mysticism in the movies yeah, and that gets your imagination going. Uh-huh. And I like, I was good at reading and I did read, but I didn't read a lot of, uh, eastern philosophy type stuff when mm. i was younger. I sucked that shit up. But i had my own ideas. I didn't have language for it. It was really hard to mm-hmm. talk about. And besides that, most of the people that i wanted to talk about it with were fucked up on Adderall. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> i like <laughs> or opiates or whatever. Mm-hmm. So It's a boxing. Yeah. So i uh Eventually, when I did start reading, though, it was like, oh, shit, all these ideas mm-hmm. exist. Mm-hmm. This is like Taoism. <laughs> this is Buddhism. Oh, Nietzsche said this. Like, this is like fucking quantum theory. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all this shit. And it was... But it's interesting because I learned this shit like literally sitting in a dark closet in, in Everett when I was 18.
0: Intuitively, right? Up coming
2: up with these ideas about life mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what the fuck I was doing.
0: Yeah, and those are some of the most, like, beautiful and somewhat daunting moments, right? Because, like, I had a similar experience when going back over my poetry and in the transition of when I kind of stopped writing poetry, even though I loved it, but uh, is that, oh, people have been writing about this for, like, centuries. Wait, yeah. what? <laughs> like, and I didn't feel so alone So all my friends, I'd be, they'd be like, whoa, well, that's kind of cool. And then they wouldn't, they would never like spend the time thinking about it anymore unless, you know, it was just them. And I. I was very much the outsider with that one. And I grew up in, for a time for like seven years anyway, Sandpoint, Idaho. And it was a town of 7,000 and the nearest town was Spokane, like or Coeur d'Alene, which is like an hour and 15 minutes away. And they had 30,000 and then Spokane, 200,000. So it was a, yeah, I never had anyone to relate to, but then those books were like, dude, that was like my oasis, man.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and learning some, what was your favorite? favorite um one of your favorite uh, philosophers um or or books I should say
2: oh my god
0: hmm.
2: dude i don't know uh it's like this is going to be a long dead silence <laughs> I don't even know, dude. I read a lot of like psychology type stuff, psychology now. stuff. I'm really into like um communication, relationships. I Ooh. like reading about different types of communication models and like mm-hmm. uh therapy models and stuff like that. That's how I learned to communicate with people. Yeah, yeah. I had terrible social anxiety mm-hmm. for when I was like 18 for years oh, until wow. I was in my early 20s. And like I was just crippled Mm -hmm. And like, I learned how to communicate and how to like understand people by reading these like textbooks and books like the one, like exactly communication, relationship, psychology, (laughs) like, anything from that department. Um, And I would, I had like notebooks and like I would take notes and anytime I was in like a really awkward or difficult situation, I didn't know how to respond to or whatever, or where I was feeling really uncomfortable. I would take that and I would like basically draw like a diagram of it or like a flow chart. And I would do research and then I would try to like basically draw a map of like the interactions that were happening and like the causes and effects and the processes that were happening within each person and between each person. And like, that's how I learned how to deal how to, that's how I understand people. But really every, everything that I understand about people was like, started with me going after trying to understand another person and then somehow, however I did that, Mm -hmm. even if it was like a really roundabout and self-destructive way where I had to fuck myself up in order to learn this thing, Mm -hmm. like all it really did was help me understand myself. (laughs) And then through understanding myself, I was able to relate to the other person Mm -hmm. and like, I mean, it happens over and over again. Yeah. You, have you heard of the uh, parking garage effect? No, I have not. What's that? It's like people think that a lot of people think that they're, they're like basically going in a circle and they're just this endless cycle of like, man, I've been here before. You know, that feeling where you're just like, fuck, no matter what I do, I always come back to this point.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you're actually spiraling upward mm. and like you're getting better at it each time and you're coming to a more difficult challenge each time. It's more complex and I don't think it's more complex each time, but you're understanding it with more complexity each time. And every time you come around, your perspective changes because of all the things you experienced before you came back to that point. Mm -hmm. And so like, yeah. You're just moving up this parking garage and like this cycle of like going inside of myself and then going back out and connecting with people and then coming back inside of myself. It's just the parking garage. And every time I like reach out to try to understand another person and then I understand myself because that person is a mirror. Like every time I, I remember when I was like 20 I had this epiphany that like every single thing that I understand I understand because I am that Mm -hmm. like I contain Mm -hmm. that Yeah. like there's no way that I can understand anything unless I can relate to it Mm -hmm. which is like why God was created in man's image or man was created in God's image Mm -hmm. really I feel like man created God in man's image (laughs) (laughs) because everything that we don't understand, we personify so that we can relate to it. So that's the funny thing is, is like, (laughs) if you were ever to build, build a role model,
0: right? It would have to be in your image and then better. (laughs) And, and like, and that's where for, for me, where I even take like, not that I'm, I'm not religious, but I value, um, all types of religion and I value the study of religion as well, just as I do philosophy, cause it's pretty much one in the same. Right. Um, although most
2: religious people would rebuke yes. philosophy. <laughs> it, yes. Yes.
0: <laughs> but, um, just for me being agnostic, right. They're both of value to me very, very much. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that that's religion actually helps me specifically christianity right is like um is you have a role model in in how to hold yourself to the highest standard right creating something in your image that exceeds what you are currently doing right like you you don't want to i don't want to clean my car right there's somebody that 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 has been written, right. And that someone would look up to who holds himself to the highest of standards that you can hold yourself to. And that's where like inverting it in that way is super helpful. Even to me as a person who's not religious, right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is, um, is just knowing that there's like this big story. Cause all stories, all stories are like a, a mapping of who we could, who we could be, right. Even like Harry Potter, for instance, a person yeah. who's like courageous and has a community, like literally Harry Potter is another good example. Of someone who's just really good at jujitsu and goes and does like ADCC trials, right? And they go and fight like all the bad people or all yeah. the tournaments <laughs> and all the shit that they can't do and like all these things, right? And, um, cause if you look at just like archetypes, um, and in all the stories that we have, it's literally just a role model for, you know, our potential. And I would view personally for me, like even Christianity is like a story, right? And a narrative that we collectively tell ourselves. Um, but the thing that I found fascinating, which is to your point, where it's like that the parking garage um, is, I, I really like uh, Ramdas if you're mm-hmm. familiar, right? And, and he has this thing where when he was younger, he was very like passionate power hungry and attention seeking. And, and he always wanted more and more and more and success, success, success. And then he goes off and he, just to put a really long story short, I guess he becomes, um, he dedicates himself, uh, to, to spiritual practice and he does like some of the most wild shit from really, really long, silent retreats and, and abstaining from sex for years and years. And, um, and then coming over to the States and bringing back everything that he learns in his spiritual practice and, and touring across the country, you know, in the late 1900s, right? And it sounds old, but... Um,
2: in the late 1900s.
0: In the 1900s. <laughs> he has one where he's like, he's old now he, at that time. He was like, I don't know, he's in his 50s, 60s. He's pretty old. He's lived quite a long life. He's, um, he's had a lot of spiritual practice in that time. And he's like... <sighs> Uh, i you know i go in to become enlightened um, and i find that you know i'm power I, my ego is large I'm, I'm power hungry i'm attention seeking and i i learn to um, to detach myself from those things right and and then i come back home and i show everyone how detached i am and i'm like look at me and then he's like oh wait <laughs> he's still struggling with that same that's damn thing that's the catch thing.
2: 22 of buddhism yeah 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 <laughs> or like yeah. or any kind of like, like spirit, really, any kind of spiritual discipline that has to do or mental discipline that has to do with ego, yeah, yeah, yeah. at all, it's mm-hmm. you cannot escape it, and, and that's the point. Is like you
0: never are. It's you might go into it with the expectation to escape it, but the whole point is is that you never, you never escape the ego, and furthermore, you never even escape your own karma. If you're someone who is um, codependent, well, you're you are going to deal with some level of codependency throughout your whole life. But like you said, the games get more and more complex and more potentially rewarding or even more
2: insufferable and, you know, just more interesting. Like, it never ends. and As long as you're aware... That you're bullshitting yourself, like, Mm -hmm. 99% of the time? Yeah. Like, (laughs) then whatever. Exactly.
0: (laughs) That's why I like comedy, because it's like, man, like, because I was doing poetry for a while, and people... So Spokane, they have this thing where... Cause poets, I ain't even like this, but like you know, you snap or whatever, and it's like I like that, and <laughs> I like the beats, yeah. <laughs> and in Spokane, they're like, cause they're they're a huge service community there, and they're like, mm, we don't remember, guys, we don't snap here when people. When people are doing good, we rub our palms together. And I'm like, oh my God, oh,
2: like, how can it get what the, more? What the
0: fuck am I doing? And like, <laughs> and I thought about it and I'm like, man, these guys take each other fucking seriously. I'd rather do something where I make people laugh, man. Yeah. Like, uh, and I just found that, like, I have to have some outlet in my life where I, I realize and I bring it all out on the table and just bullshit myself because if I don't and fuck, my head's going to get all big and pop, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you perform? Comedy. Um, I was for a while, and then it got to the thing where I I have my son. My son's seven years old, and comedy happens at night if I'm going to do this thing, because comedy is perhaps one of my favorite things. And, like, um, if I'm going to do this thing, I at least want three to five nights a week. And with how it is now I would have to pay somebody and if I were to pay them then it would be like I need like four hours and even at minimum wage it's like 44 bucks a night and then 44 it's just I don't yeah. It's so as, so what I'm doing now is I'm having, trying to enrich myself with life experience, build my writing skills and conversation skills. And then once he gets to the point where he's about independent, then where I can just leave at night and not have to, and he can be at home, then that's going to be my main factor. Yeah. Um, at least one of them, but.
2: Yeah. That's where I'm at. I'm afraid I'm finally people.
0: there. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yes,
2: yeah. See, exactly.
0: Because, yeah, your kids are getting older now. <sighs>
2: yeah, they're 10,
0: 12. Yeah. And there was one point where I thought, like, well, you we just do it anyways. Because I get the fear of, like, well, maybe... This is, this is completely possible. You're making excuses to be able to prevent yourself from, from doing that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I'm no, because I just really want that freedom to, to, to be with my son in the way that's like the most optimal in that moment. And like Mm -hmm. right now it's being a beginner at things, being, having the flexibility to teach him all those stuff. He's a beginner at things. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and like being able to help them with that. And like, I really like that. And that helps me because if I just focus on fundamentals as you know, for the next two years of what I like, then I'll have a solid foundation to move forward on those things. you
2: know? Yeah. I used to be so hard on myself when I wasn't like really fucking good. I had to be the best at everything I did. Mm-hmm. Or I had to like at least go way above and beyond like the level of dedication determination and performance that most people would Mm -hmm. I would I always set what other people consider unrealistic goals for myself Mm. and like uh, I forgot where I was going with that. doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> I set, often set unrealistic goals for myself and that is why I have a hundred K coming up in August, the beginning of August. And I ran a 36 miler on Sunday or last week. Oh, I don't remember my days and like, Oh, I think I'm going to drop it to a 40 miler. Cause I, <laughs> I went into ultra running and I'm like, that looks really cool. And a lot of people will be like, yeah, we do, you know, you do marathons for like, you know, the first year or two and then, you can get to like the um, the 36 mile races, and then the 50 mile race. I'm like, no, nope, 50 mile race, let's do this. And like, I, I often find myself how I would say is like mainlining life. When it came to drugs, I'm like, ah, oh, let's do like all the drugs. Like, and then if it came to like martial arts, it's like, well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go in and spend all my time on this. Like yeah, it's and rock climbing now is the same thing where it's like I'm doing things right now I just want to climb all the mountains and I got to remind myself to navigate that a little more strategically. Yeah. But actually I'm, I'd love to know your experience in it. For me, it hasn't caused me any problems. I have not sustained. Like I don't, I don't do drugs like I used to, so I don't party. So like I obviously haven't sustained in, in those hobbies No, I'm just kidding. But, um, now applying it to actual like, you know, healthy functional activities, I'm still doing them. So I'm not burning out. So it's working in my advantage. And from the dysfunctional things, my, um, me, you know, going, setting unrealistic expectations and really pushing my boundaries right out of the gate as hard as I can, Mm -hmm. that actually helped me in the dysfunction because I learned from the, like, I got into drugs pretty hardcore at 10 and I got out at 14 and I got really hardcore into like parenting at 12, you know, stepdad (laughs) and like living with this girl. And then I have a kid at 17 and I'm like, Oh, I really like having my son and I like being a father and being a paternal figure, even to like, you know, uh, other children too, in the sense of like a a teaching role and a leadership role. Mm -hmm. Um, It's great. Um, But I learned my lesson in terms of like, how I would view my, my sexual interactions. Right. And like in relationships and stuff like that, and I got all that out of my, my system pretty quick. Yeah. So that's helped me, but for you in setting unrealistic expectations, has that been helpful to you or has it been more dysfunctional and hindered your pro- progress in life? <laughs>
2: That's a question I'm like really, really, really struggling to. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I'm like really exploring that right now at this time in my life. Oh yeah. (laughs) Because the other day I was like, why do I keep ending up having jobs that make me fucking miserable? Mm. Like, every fucking type of work that I've ever done, I've ended up miserable. And then I was, I got a sponsorship a fighting sponsorship where mm-hmm. I, for like 10 months I did nothing. Mm-hmm. I, my, I didn't, I was, so I was offered this opportunity <clears throat> to, And here's like the clue. Mm -hmm. I was offered this opportunity to do nothing but fight and train nothing. And all my bills were paid for everything. And I didn't accept the offer for like two or three months. And then Mm -hmm. when I finally did, it's because I was like, oh, here's how I can feel good about this. It was like, I don't deserve this fucking this opportunity. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I deserve it. Why, why, why are there other people who are strict scraping by struggling to get by and I'm give, being given this opportunity? Mm-hmm. Like how can I deserve this? so to me like deserving something doesn't necessarily have as much to do with what you have done as what you're going to do with the opportunity. Yeah. Precisely. So for me it was like, okay, what do I need to do to deserve this? So I've loaded on all this other shit. It wasn't just fighting and training. It was podcasting, writing Mm -hmm. a book, doing community service. Mm -hmm. Like, like just, I, I had this crazy schedule and, um, I ended up like, pretty fucking miserable and I got, I got, that's when I started drinking too much. Mm. I was, first of all, a lot of, almost all of it required me to be alone. Mm -hmm. I couldn't interact with other people. So for like 10 months... (sighs) And I only sleep like an average of like four hours a night. Mm -hmm. So for like 10 months, I was spending like 20 fucking hours a day by myself unless I was in the gym training, which at the most is three or four hours. Mm -hmm. So I would train outside of that, but it was solo training. So like, dude, I got super fucking depressed. I started drinking too much. Mm -hmm. Eventually I got to a point where I was like, fuck this. And I didn't drink for three months. Mm -hmm um but uh uh i forgot what the question was see that's beauty
0: is because like being able to identify that as merely a symptom of of the situation right and you i wonder when you stopped drinking did you do that out of the discipline to stop drinking too much or did you do that because you fixed the, the, the problem and course corrected with the it social was a little isolation. bit of
2: both. I mean, I realized that drinking was, was counterproductive to my goals, but that mm-hmm. wasn't enough. Yeah. I did. I knew that for a while, but what I finally realized one day was that like, I had been self-destructing very slowly and subtly at a level that could pass as functional. Mm-hmm. And like, th- basically like, I don't believe in half-assing anything. Mm-hmm. Most of my life I've had a pretty I haven't really had a very good relationship with moderation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. For me, it's like if you're not going all out, then you're half-assing something. Mm-hmm. What's the point? So I, I was like, dude, if I'm going to self-destruct, like, why am I half-assing it? I've not only been like shitbirding my way through life, but I've been shitbirding at shitbirding. <laughs> so for 24 hours, I got as fucked up as I could. Mm-hmm for 24 hours like literally on the end of that hour like on the minute i started drinking water but for 24 hours i drank too much like consciously made the choice and every time i wanted to go to sleep or stop drinking or whatever i was like no i'm doing this Mm -hmm. i'm gonna fucking do this this is what i've been doing for all this fucking time and i'm gonna fucking do it it's like punishment it's not punish. well it is kind of it's like when you're like no you're gonna look at what you've been doing Mm -hmm. like look what the fuck you've been doing this is what you're doing. If this is what you want, have it. Mm -hmm. Like, so I fucking, it's like, if you really believe in fucking doing everything all out, do it right now. So I just kept fucking drinking and like, and, and calling people up and having conversations that, I mean, I remember every conversation I had. Mm -hmm. I drank me. It was me and one other guy and he was going through something too Mm -hmm. at the time. And so we made this pack together and we were like gonna get through this experience together we called up family members that we needed to fucking hash shit out with we like we we just did all this shit we shared things with each other that we really needed to talk to somebody about and like it was a ritual and uh I just looked at the deepest darkest shittiest side of myself and accepted it mm-hmm. and i didn't accept it as who i'm going to be but i accepted that it's there and i recognize where it came from mm. and like a lot of that experience was <laughs> grieving for like my biological father like who wasn't really a part of my life but whenever he was he was just there because he needed something mm-hmm. and like he ended up killing himself Mm -hmm. so eight years went by and then I finally fucking grieved for him Mm -hmm. and not for him but yeah just all the shit that I'd been like not dealing with not Mm -hmm. thinking about the things that like I knew were not good for not the things that I knew were not fair to a kid Mm -hmm. to a boy Mm -hmm. like None of that shit was fair. But most of my life, I just didn't think about it. I was like, "Uh, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not going to affect me. Yeah. And then, like, it all fucking came down that night. Like, all of it. That 24-hour period, I just exercised a lot of fucking demons. And then I didn't drink again for three months. I didn't have a drop. And, like, even now, like... Like I'll, it takes me like hours to get through a beer a lot of the time. <laughs> um.
0: Is So it, when you say it takes you hours to get through a beer... Um, is that, is that a conscious thing or is that a very unconscious thing in the sense that are you like, "Mm, like I'm aware of it.
2: No, it's not like that. It's just like, I have a drink and then I forget about it. It's a behavioral thing. Yeah. And then I like have another drink and I forget about it. And then I'm like three quarters of the way through and I'm like, uh, I don't really want the rest of that. And I dump it out (laughs) and it's just like, I, it takes 90 days to create a habit supposedly Mm -hmm. and I spent 90 days like creating a habit out of having self-control and like not self-destructing when, when there was shit to deal with. Yeah. For those 90 days I really focused on dealing with the shit that I'd been avoiding Mm -hmm. seeking out comfort. I mean, I was in this situation where I didn't have to do anything really, I mean, all the things that I had chosen to do were in a con, all the things that I had a contract that bound me to do were things that I put in that contract and the person that, uh, that I made that contract with didn't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. So it was like the only person holding really, it was like, I made a promise to myself and then I broke it and I was pretty pissed off at myself about that too. Mm -hmm. So there was just like all kinds of fucking shit. I was just hating myself and and how do
0: you how do you cope how did you cope with um that discontent that you had with yourself for breaking that promise right
2: I didn't for a while. Mm-hmm. I just was like, Fuck, I hate myself, and then I drank mm-hmm. and uh and now it's like. <laughs> I was doing exactly what I needed to be doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Like it's not, if you were to have not had that experience and just got on with what you needed to get on with, you probably wouldn't have been a better person. Well, that experience
2: that. really helped me understand my pattern and it helped me understand my, sh- that, that a lot of the times in my life where I've been really unhappy, it had nothing to do with my circumstances. Mm-hmm. Like, it had very little to do with that. Because in the time where I had everything fucking handed to me and could have done the thing that I loved the most, and everything on that list was something that I felt. Passionately about doing.
0: So this goes this goes to everything because if anyone was ever to enter into a school and then they were to say that this shit's boring and this sucks and I don't want to be here, and then you flash over to another person, right? Who who? It's gonna be really dark, but you can have like a really really dysfunctional household, and you're a kid in that household, right? um Those experiences. Or even you're poor and everything isn't like working for you, all the fucking walls are falling over, right? All of those experiences within them lie some of the greatest bliss and joy that you could ever imagine. And that's just because it's suffering is relative suffering. It, it, it almost fills the space and it, it fills as much space as there is like it's, it's unavoidable. and. It, it it is really how how you cope with that to to sit with the suffering, right?
2: Well, and there was a lot of things that I never had the space to really deal with, mm-hmm. like through my suffering as a kid, like or just having a really rough upbringing, and then like never, I don't know. I, I mean, I got off to a rough start, and it hasn't been easy ever. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't think that it varies. ever is for anybody. However, like my circumstances were just like <sighs> it's
0: even what you said where, where you get like you get you know sponsored and you don't have to work and you get to do these things. Well, it's it, like
2: it, what happened was like. You, okay, so you, you know how during fight or flight, like uh-huh. your pupils constrict, you, like your blood vessels is constrict in certain areas because you're like preserving it for like the most the functions that take priority in order for you to survive. Yeah, like through most of my life, I've been in a survival state, mm-hmm. and like I never really dealt with these other things that really needed to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. And when I when all those things were were no longer an issue that I needed to focus on. And I finally was like, as soon as I signed that contract, dude, I felt like I had been treading water in an ocean that was just like rapidly crashing all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. And I had washed up on shore. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you going to do? You just spent fucking 32 or 33 years treading water in the ocean with fucking sharks swimming around you and like, you feel like you're going to drown all the time and every fucking moment you're like you're reaching up outside of the water. You're reaching up thinking you're going to reach out of the water and it's not there. And then you think you're going to drown. You finally get a gasp of air. And then here comes another one. Like that's, that's life. And then all of a sudden you wash up on the fucking beach and you're laying there. Like, am I fucking alive? Mm -hmm. Are you going to get up and start working? Mm -hmm. No, you're going to fucking lay there for a minute. And that's like when I was in that state and I was like, holy shit, this is real. I'm alive. Like none of those, none of those fucking I mean I used to lay in bed at night like having these I would have this feeling like I would tr- I'd start falling asleep and I'd feel wind mm-hmm. but there was no fucking wind mm-hmm. but I had this terror of like I had this fear that I was going to be homeless because mm-hmm. I've been homeless and I've frozen and like I've been in the hospital because I had frozen and like like I I've been in really fucking situations where i could have died trauma right yeah and so i'm laying in bed and i have this like in my mind i'm like almost asleep and then i see myself on a slab of concrete with no walls Mm -hmm. and i feel wind and i'm like whoa i wake up and i'm in a house or i'm in an apartment or whatever Mm -hmm. and it's not fucking real but without all that shit without my fucking Uh, like all these struggles that I'm constantly having, like my heart racing and like a flood of fucking stress hormones rushing through my body to deal with all the fucking time when that was all removed, all that was left was all the things that like, I never really fucking had the capacity to to confront. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I confronted it. And it, by the way, during that time I was doing these fucking podcasts, which are like really fucking emotionally charged a lot of the time. And every time someone tells a story, I'm relating to it through my own experience and reliving things that I've experienced and like experiencing through them. And like, it's just really emotionally, it can be emotionally draining. And I was like, fuck, I need therapy. Like, (laughs) like therapists have conversations like this with people all the time, but they get Therapy, yeah, yeah, and they they are fucking therapists. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, fuck. So it took me ten months to finally go and get a counselor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but like, anyway, dude, I don't know. It was just a really transformative experience, it's and like, beautiful. so the way I cope with what at that time felt like failure is, I just appreciate it, dude. Mm-hmm. Like that experience, even though it wasn't what I set out to do, like it was invaluable.
0: Dragons come in many forms, man. And that's that thing that I think I mentioned before the podcast is, is like, it's very much our choice, whether it is to do or not to do something. But once you decide to do it, you step in the current and the current takes you its own way. And, and that's, that's the beautiful thing, man. Cause that's what, that's like whatever movie that you love, right? Uh, not really. Okay. <laughs> Fine. More like action movie, right? In, in any of those movies where you get to the point to where like the hero is, or the main character rather, is just someone who, who's not really up for the task. You don't know what the task is because you just started watching the movie, but they're certainly not ready for this, right? And it's even the news, that the animated fucking Spider-Man. Well,
2: they're is, stepping into an unknown.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and, and through that, right, all the, the scathes and the wounds and like... You get fucked up, but through that you build, you know, your resilience and you build your growth. And even more the more than that, you reveal who you are to yourself just a little bit more. And and then you have this challenge that you can eventually, hopefully, because just like in every movie, no, not all the characters make it out alive. Mm or just like every story, no one, not everyone makes it out alive. And like when you do, you know, fight that, that thing for you, like it was the drinking and the, and the culmination of it all. Right. And when you overcome that, it's just like pop. And then it's this beautiful climax. And like, it's like very unique to who you are and very essential to to what it is like to be a human being.
2: yeah and it's definitely not over <laughs> well no but, but that's the thing is
0: that it's never over because in almost every story y'all hate it but in almost every <laughs> story that at the end there's always this like thing where it's like oh buddy's gonna come back to life and like that usually is in comic books really sell it because they were, they were great like Nietzsche said God, said God is dead right and that's the whole like the death of religion and the death of tradition right within the person you grow up and it's like hmm what are your Values like you don't, you were not imbued with values, right? God is dead, but with comic books, ah, comic books, I would argue for some people, imbue more tradition into them, right? The, the hero's journey, if you will. For uh, it's not Carl Jung, but I think it was Carl Jung, um, and th- that you've seen like Star Wars, and then the director of Star Wars used the hero's journey, I think it was influenced by Carl Jung, but um. But when you you see that, like, it's just, yeah, it's beautiful, man. And that's the thing is, like, within the movie, though, like I was saying, is that it's never really over. And that's because for all of us, it's never really over. And that goes back to what I said about Romdas and what you said about the parking thing, is, like, the parking garage. It's like, it really is never over. Not in, like, oh, this sucks. But, like, if, if you guys like to play video games, it's the greatest, it's the greatest fucking video game you've ever played. Because, like, the thing that sucks is when the video game starts getting repetitive, you're doing, like, fetch quests, where it's like, go and get my diamonds. And you get the diamonds, and it's like, go and get my carrots. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm just doing the same thing over and over again. And there's no... Variance and meaning in it, but in like life, it's never ending in it's often meaningful. The, the, the only danger and the potential, um, the very, very dangerous potential is, is when you do lose your sense of meaning, um, you may be lost. And like, I don't mean that from like a very, um, like preachy or like dogmatic sense, like I know all, but like it's, that's, that's alcoholism. It's obsessive eating disorders. It's whether it's anorexia or eating too much and being obese. It's like, you don't care enough to bear these, these burdens, or you don't care enough to not care enough, but you're not You're not not ready at this point in time to, to fight this, this, this dragon or not even to fight. Cause you don't vanquish it and make it go away, but to contend with, I guess. Right.
2: Well, dude, you gotta have the gun to your head it's,
0: sometimes. You, you do, mm, but I know people who've had <laughs> the gun to their head. Like I've interviewed people who've had the gun to their head and they just, they whimper and they whimper. The gun wasn't
2: and, really to their head. No. And they've, I've
0: <laughs> and I've met people who to their death, like, oh, shit. like in their like seventies and eighties. And, and those like, I know one guy who, okay, I got two guys. One guy He, I met him. I was living in a town of three hundred in Idaho. The numbers just get smaller in these towns, man. It's but like a town of three hundred, and this town, it's like from that town of seven thousand standpoint, Idaho. Fuck, dude, I gotta pee. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I grew up in like that, or I was living in that town of three hundred, and it's an hour away from the town of seven thousand. Cops response time is an hour and twenty minutes to get there, and. These people that I knew, they, these are the fucking one of the people that just didn't make it out alive. And like, from that town of 300, they lived up the mountain 40 minutes. So you drive all the way 40 minutes up this big ass mountain. And then you find their house or trailer up there and they're like completely subsistent living and stuff. And it's just, oh, dude, like rats in their well, like it's dude, like it is rough. Their uh, kids, one of them was incarcerated and escaped from, from jail or prison and stuff like that and going back and forth. And then the, the other daughters, she, she was able to manage or not manage, but, um, for some reason work work for whatever reason work through her dysfunction like the not her dysfunction but the dysfunctional environment right and do really well in the sense of finding something meaningful to her that wasn't absolute like you know just terror um and then you had this guy and his name is hippie ronnie right he's a cool guy but like he was 70 60 um he started getting um cirrhosis of the liver or no jaundice and his eyes started getting yellow and i guess a lot of that has to do with like alcohol alcohol. alcohol and drinking a lot right and these people ask Heidi she knows like
2: (laughs) she's a doctor
0: (laughs) really (laughs) is it jaundice where you um jaundice is from drinking you get yellow eyes right if, the that. if the, yeah yeah and they, so they had John does and he's like Yep, oh, nope oh, this, this, is, this is what I do just continuing on with it and like the whole group of them like tweakers and alcoholics and just boom in their sixties they're not like to the to the point where they have this property and they have this property for a number of years. Right. And it's like, I don't, what, what am I going to do? Like, I, first of all, I'm fucking 10. So what, what would I do? But like looking at that, it's like, they don't, they never made it out alive technically. And I, I battle with that. Cause I'm like, how dare you, how dare you say that someone who is living in like what you would consider a very harsh scenario. Right. Um, how dare you say that they're like, they didn't make it out alive. Didn't have a quality life, like obviously, I knew them, and there was a lot of drama and issues there with them, right? They fought a lot, but like. It's relative. They never hurt anyone, so I mean, I I would never enforce something on them. That's wrong. It's oppressive and all those things. And I would never even tell them. Like I talk to my son about this shit all the time, and he must sometimes be fucking preaching weird. But like <laughs> your seven year old son. Yeah, yeah. And but it's like how why I would never like that, that's that fixing thing. Like you can't. You just, you just be there with them. And when, when you're there, like, um, I have to deal with adults like that now, where it's like, like you know, my son's mom is um, a severe alcoholic and goes in and out with, like, meth, and it's like... Yeah, uh, gets so caught up in like being judged, right? That like that's it'll become a fight or anything. And I've had to learn to create space there and to not go down that hole of drama and just be like, oh, it's okay.
2: Yeah. When you're in a person's life who has an issue like that and you become a reactive like mm-hmm. caretaker for that person, you start modeling An addictive personality Mm -hmm. like you become addicted and
0: you become codependent yeah and and that's but that's where it is is like there's there are people out there and i even have the same feelings um with people who are in homeless situations sometimes it's on sweeping generalization just in my experience is demographics everywhere and within the population of homeless there's a subset of of homeless who have just i can't help them and like that's I there's some people who who are going to not be able to I'll use drugs but it's not just drugs and it's not drugs fault I, I drugs are no fault in that sense it's just an opportunity to um to act out the dysfunctional behavior right um is that, like, you do all these drugs and you don't get food like you should and, you know, you do all this risky, risky behavior and you don't put your own livelihood in the question. You're, like, dying on the streets because you're just doing too much drugs and not taking care of yourself, right? Like, I if you would like services, I have free meals and stuff like that, right? I provide them, but... <laughs> Uh, that's where you're at. And like, and that's how I've had to do with some people too, is like, even my own dad, it's like, oh, you've used meth like most of my life. And like, how do I love you? And how do I give it that space, spaciousness? Because if I'm like, oh, I just hope that he gets clean. I hope that he, cause there's, I, you know, I wish the best for him. But if I'm thinking that, my whole interaction with him is, is the hope that he is who he is not. Like, and that's, that's really hard, and that 's not
2: dude. How many times in your life have you loved somebody so much that you had to you had to give them space yeah, like oh, that- the fact that compassion and love can 't really exist independent of each other, like mm-hmm. you you have to sometimes the only way to love somebody mm-hmm. is to leave let them be and Just get away from them honestly and, and not even be there
0: death also is like. <clears throat> I have mixed feelings about this, but I guess I'm working it out, is like, <sighs> death isn't the end. It's like, it, whatever you whatever you believe or any of that stuff, right? I'm not saying like, there's this thing that happens, right? Like, you, you just, you, you die, right? We know that. That's it, right? And if you, you are on that path, and if me giving you space, right, in like an actual way where i'm trying my best with clear intentions if i'm giving you space and if the result of that is death i'd like that that is my emotions that i have to that is just me being afraid to die personally projected onto another person does that make sense or does that sound very callous no it makes sense like free climbing one of my friends (laughs) i don't know why i call him a friend but i'd like to oh shit um (laughs) His name is uh, Austin and I forgot his last name. Okay, it's not, it's, not calls,
2: like, it's not a shared. Austin. No, no. It's okay, not. good.
0: <laughs> he calls himself the free soloist, and he free solo rock climbed. Oh, okay, and he's doing so. Like, there's there's all different kinds of. I'll just be quick about it, but there's all different very classifications for climbing, which you have like first class, second class, which is like hiking, first class, you know, flat terrain. Second class is hilly terrain. Don't trip; you'll just roll down the hill. Um, and then third class is like hand or his feet but you got to be careful cuz if you do fall you're going to you're going to tumble down you know uh, down ledges and stuff like that it's risk of death not really fourth class is hands and feet almost you know 100% of the time you're not climbing like walls or anything um some people don't use ropes some people do but if you do have a, a fall then it could lead to death or serious injury and then fifth class is basically climbing up walls right and where you need ropes well my friend Austin is, um, he's been climbing for a really long time. He's a really good climber. Um, he was climbing, uh, he climbs five twelves, which five twelves are like the purple belt equivalent in rock climbing. And he was
2: so halfway there.
0: Yeah. Yes. Halfway there. And he was because once you get to like five fourteen or five fifteen, maybe even that's like elite level. Few people could ever even get there, even genetically speaking, get there. So he, I'd even say purple belt, brown belt was at the five twelve range, and um, he's climbing those without ropes. He's doing it free solo and he does it even in unlace shoes. And for climbers you want your shoes nice and tight, right? Like your pants high and tight. And so that you can get on like the very small, precise foot footholds. He does it all on lace and he can send those routes easy because he's he's very technically adept, right? And he's free soloing these routes. He gets to like 18, eighteen five twelves that he's climbed without ropes and they're usually like a hundred feet. Uh, 100 to 120 feet in heights right and he's doing them he does them all fine and one day he he dies
2: oh shit
0: that was like three weeks ago
2: holy fuck
0: yeah and he has had these times where he's free soloed and someone will be what most of us do would be free climbing which is different. We have ropes on. We're fixing protection into the rock. So if you fall, you fall into protection. Worst case is you're going to get a bruise or really hurt. You could deck and break something, but it's not really going to happen. Um, And those people are climbing, and then he comes up, and he's like, I'm going to just send this route right here, right? And he has this whole emotional, like, just, like... Like dialogue over it, because you got to understand. Like he, he he didn't he didn't know if what he did was selfish, not the not the death, but this about to climb free solo next to these guys free climbing right at this popular crag, But because he's literally putting them, if he climbs that and he falls, he is making them confront death, and they're gonna have to rescue him. And then they're also, when you're climbing, you're climbing over there and you're watching this dude. And if he slips, you're like, "Eh." you're like, you're consciously thinking about this person, you know, could die. And like, you're not, he's not going up the routes, like trying to kill himself. He's not falling off of them. He's doing these routes because he can do 513, which is a great above. Mm. But, you know, it's like grappling white belts and it's like no tapping. Yeah. Like I won't tap (laughs) like that's retarded, but that's the only way that I could think of it. Like, he's just so skilled. It's not a, it's not a risk factor. The risk is actually small of falling, but when he, or the likelihood of falling is small, but the risk is high, of course. So he, he has that whole, um, like emotional debacle. And he just realizes that, you know, he makes his own personal choices. He thinks about, he's thought about death a lot, right? He doesn't Mm. want to die. when He didn't want to die. And he, he climbed, sent that route and he fell 80 feet to his death. Um, and and with that though, it's like, I'm not sad that he is no longer alive. I'm sad that I don't get to experience it. And I'm sad that his family doesn't get to experience him anymore and in that scenario all the choices that he made had the potential for death just like the choices of using substances too much I'm not saying he was dysfunctional at all he's a really cool really great guy really strong guy and consistent but like your choices perhaps your choices were risky yeah and and I will help you if you're in a point to where you're like, I am hurt, help, right, or I need you help, I will be there, but I will not pad the walls, I will not yeah nothing I will not cushion your fall um because it's it's not my right, and y- you walk the path that you walk, whether or not you want it or well when you want it, you know that's yeah. uh, that's that's how you're I've
2: gonna you'll that. be that climber who was free climbing next to him and cringing and <laughs> freaking out and not being able to focus hundred percent on your yeah, experience, yeah. but also not like interfering, but in, that's the compassion part. Mm-hmm. That's in, the part where you're like, no, I'll suffer through this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the biggest part is, is
0: like, you realize that you were in a public area and all that you control is your own reactions to it. And that's like, that's the biggest thing is, is like, cause if maybe if you were tense or you made him feel bad or you forced him to come down off the route or any of these projections that you had could potentially either make it more risky for him, or it can just be dysfunctional and hurt you and, and the other person. And, you know, and that's something that I've had to contend with. Cause I'm like, I really am watching you and I'm watching you either go to like prison or death and I need to stop you. That was at once my mindset. I was so morally charged by my own ethics and values and God, I was such a fucking, like just dysfunctional person. I don't know what, I had no business doing that, but in the process that I get tangled up in it. And then now it's like, Oh, I see you're about to hit a brick wall that that could be, it's very terrifying for me. And I, I feel for you, but if you need anything, I'm here mm-hmm. and it's getting yeah. much more manageable.
2: Dude. Like I have like had conversations with friends of mine about, How do you you actually, like, hold compassionate space for somebody? And, like, all you can do is say, I'm here. Mm -hmm. That's it. All you can do is let them know you're there. Mm -hmm. When I have a friend who is like, how are you doing? And I'm like, how are you? And then they answer me honestly, and it's really shitty. Mm -hmm. Like, they're experiencing some fucking shit. Mm -hmm. Like... I have to think about how to respond to that. And a lot of the time, all I can say is I'm here. Mm, Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, I don't want to fucking jump in and try to interfere. I I don't want to like, I don't want to say I get it Mm -hmm. because I don't. I only get my experiences. I don't know what they're going through. Like, I I can relate to my own experiences. I, I can say... I can relate to you to that in my own way, but Mm -hmm. it's, or like I've said to people before, like, not that I've experienced what you're experiencing right now, but I feel like I can sort of relate to it in my Mm -hmm. own way. Um, and I'm here, Mm -hmm. that's it. And it's like, I can talk about my own experiences, but then that's not really holding space. No. And I don't know, man.
0: See, that's where, that's where I like uh, Jordan Peterson. And, um, when he talks about at least with therapy and a lot of it, just like one of the things that he mentioned was, and it had to do with therapy, just, but just with talking in general, which is like when we, when we talk, right. Or even when we write as well, um, we're actually refining our narrative and refining our ideas. And we actually require speaking or writing, um, and we require other people to be able to think and to be able to sculpt who we are in our own personal narrative. Like who I am is actually more solidified by how you perceive me and other people perceive me um, than how I perceive myself. Because that's like the only stability that I have. It's like, so for me to view myself as like a rock climber, right? Um, Or a rock climber and a martial artist. Um, On any given day, I might wake up and I might want to run. And that is not rock climbing. That is not martial arts or I might want to write and I'm thinking about those things and those are martial arts and rock climbing are the furthest from my mind. Right.
2: And your ego is like, what? Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> but then my son comes up and like, you know, um, he, he asked me questions about climbing or about trips that are coming up. Right. And like I form my identity based on how people perceive me in that sense. Right. And like, um, the biggest thing that was interesting to me was when he was saying that through conversation though we sculpt their personality and it's more by listening to people and providing them with with genuine reactions that you can help refine uh, or help them come to an understanding because like your reactions are almost paramount is to be honest and tell the truth which is like if you tell me something wild then I respond like oh wow that, that sounds a little crazy but like you know like in a way that you know in a subtle way where you're not you're not um, inducing conflict so that you can continue the conversation right yeah. um, it's subtly helping them shape what's you know what's crazy and what's not and if you think about like when you were doing poetry it's the same thing You you write out ideas which ultimately are things that you spend time thinking about and perhaps it's how you view yourself or how you view the world one of those things right?
2: Yeah. The story.
0: Yeah. And then you put it out there and then you get, then get a response. Yeah. And, and
2: then that response confirms that your story is true.
0: And then some of the parts that are false. And then from there you course correct and refine it. And you think you're refining a poem, which you are, but what you're really refining is, is your own personal dialogue and your own, you know, character values and intuitions.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's fundamentally it totally the required is as an outward expression of those though. Yeah. That's why the podcast,
2: I was just thinking about that the other, like a couple of days ago. About that process, of just like, like how my whole life I, I have this narrative about who I am and what I and and I tell I have to constantly ask myself: Is what I'm thinking about my story mm. fictional? <laughs> yeah. Like how much of this is just like uh, how much of this is a story that I'm writing where my, my perception of it is just skewed enough to protect my ego in some way. So
0: you got cognitive biases and there's some beautiful stuff on cognitive bias. And and then,
2: and I'm just like, well, like really though, you can't escape that. You have to like, you can't escape it. mm -hmm. It's, who knows if you're fucking bullshitting yourself. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the fact that like we can tell our own story to ourselves, like an unlimited amount of different ways Mm -hmm. and there's truth in every single version, like, and there's also bullshit in every version. Mm -hmm. I guess it doesn't, to me, it doesn't really matter as long as like, it's like I was saying before, like as long as you know that 99% of everything that you know as, or that you tell yourself as bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, well,
0: see, I, but I think that's because like stories and um, narrative is not is not about how it is, but how it could be, right? Because like that that very distinction of it not being entirely like. <laughs> factual, like the potential for it to be skewed one way or the other, right, is the potential for change.
2: I think that part of us that when we tell our story and then we get a response from it and that response reinforces our perception of our story mm-hmm. like i think that's the part of us that yearns for belonging mm-hmm. like when you're in the movie theater and something happens that isn't even fucking funny mm, yeah. but everybody laughs and you can't help but laugh with them because mm-hmm. you feel like part of this like laughter mm-hmm. yeah and it's it's belonging it's ex- it's part of feeling like you're part of something and you're accepted mm-hmm. which maybe that process of like it's it's people being mirrors of each other simultaneously Mm -hmm. like that might be a more powerful process for people who uh have struggled with belonging Mm -hmm. and for me i know that that's the case having grown up in multiple different families where i was that where i didn't ever feel like i really was part of the family.
0: But did do you ever get the the fulfillment from being a part
2: of a jiu-jitsu or not a, a martial arts school? Um so when when I was talking earlier I almost got into that like my earliest feeling of being part of something that had like a family or, or like a group of people that had some kind of like bylaws that I felt like I wanted to to I've always had a hard time with authority, mm-hmm. but the, my first experience with martial arts was in Gojuru. And then when I was like 12, I started Kaju Kembo and there's like this creed and the creed was something that I wanted to adhere to. It was the first time that like something was on, like I was like, I want this. It was meaningful. To I you. agree with this and mm-hmm. I will stand by it. And it's not because somebody's like, but, and now I consider myself an anarchist. Mm-hmm. Which most people are like, oh, doesn't that mean you aren't going to follow any rules? Like, no. If I made a rule for myself that I was always going to disobey, like, that's not anarchy. Anarchy Mm -hmm. is like, if you look at my life, I'm not fucking in jail. Like, most of the laws that exist, I happen to abide by them of my own volition because they happen to not conflict with my own fucking values. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, my first experience of like really being part of a group of people that had structure and discipline and where I felt like there were people around me who I could actually look up to because I had such an issue with authority figures because I wasn't taken care of. Mm -hmm. I wasn't cared for. Nobody fucking earned my respect. And like as a kid, nobody could get me to fucking do anything because it was just some fucking asshole who didn't care about me. Who was trying to get me to do it.
0: And they'd exercise authority instead of respect and responsibility.
2: And when I found myself in a place where the people around me were, honorable and did give a shit about me and demonstrated that by spending time with me trying to help me improve myself not just like physically but like emotionally and like we're there for me Mm -hmm. like that that is such a huge part of my life that when I like stray from martial arts Mm -hmm. um, which I have for a couple years at a time here and there like I fall apart. Mm-hmm. That structure has to be there.
0: <laughs> you see, and that's where I found that it's like paramount to an individual's growth and regardless of who you are and where you are. And that's where I take like these, these kids, right. It is I see these experiences when I get like, I'm in the school, I'm contracted by the school. So I work for another company and I come into the school as a third party. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to listen to the teachers. I don't have to listen to any of them. Um, so I'm there. And if they don't want to do work, okay. As long as I don't do anything illegal. Right. And so like, I completely built a, I asked, try to find out like um, prospect what the kid likes. And you find like kid wants to do spin on the bar and kid wants to run. And then he, he, basically Basically, the kid I work with, if you, you try to get him to do five, the whole goal is to do like um, chapter three, checkpoint one, right? And there's like 20 questions in there. Well, we couldn't get this kid to do 20 questions. He's like 10 years old and okay, going to do five questions. All right, let's do five. And then we can go, once we do five and it's been, you know, one one o'clock rolls around, we're able to go and take a break, um, which is what he really cares about. and. Like when you tried to do that, he, you're like, oh, I ain't going to do these five questions. He'll do like one. Like, oh. And he's fully like, in terms of a person, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't understand that he'd have like a, uh, a dysfunction, I suppose. Um, but then he get to like question one. He's like, oh, I don't, man, this is not, you're like. This is this answer. No, that's wrong. Let's let's work on this. And he's like, so ashamed and insecure and embarrassed, you know, that he'll like he'll get up and he'll try to punch me and try to like fight me or try to stab me and stuff like that. And then I'll have to deescalate the situation. How old is this? Good ten. Oh shit. Yeah, the teachers locked herself in the in a classroom before um, so that um, the student couldn't get to her, and she called the police and. Um, he was trying to stab her with scissors. Um, and he's giving me a black eye twice, but like, but that was only because I wasn't paying attention. That was my fault. Not, not paying attention. It was only because that's what I
2: say in (laughs) sparring. If I get punched in the face, that's my
0: fault. (laughs) It's, it's because I had, I had what too much, um, I was afraid of hurting him. Yeah. And then I realized that I didn't have anything to be afraid of because I'm not the person who would hurt someone. Mm-hmm. It, it was such a weird thing. Like I, would, I had low self-worth where it's like uh, uppercut and I'm like, oh, I don't want to like grab them all weird and like, nah, I don't know. Bam. Oh, oh God. Okay. You know what? And then I just arm drag and do all the things I'm supposed to. And, yeah. you know, and using martial arts in the right response things appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um but anyways, so, like, that stuff happens. Like, literally, stuff would happen three times a day. Shut the lights off, try to stab me, shut the light, or, you know, turn around and try to run out, and you try to get him, and he tries to punch you or throw, like, uh, sometimes fist-sized rocks at you. And, like, um, I got to the point, though, where I developed, like, figure out what he wants, prospect. I'm like, oh, this kid likes running, kind of, and he's interested in that, like, pull-up bar. It's on the um, playground, but he's afraid of heights. So, like... I use that scenario. I used, I built a community where he likes the high schoolers and they, they kind of like doing physical things. They try to get me to be a PE teacher, but um, they, so they would start to come over on the bar and he would spin and he would show them. And he'd always ask me to catch him, the kid. Cause he's so afraid of being like four feet off the ground, which I would never like, you know, kick him down, but like, eh. and, but I'm like, yeah, it's all right, man. Cause really it is like, you're afraid of it's all relative, right? I'm afraid of things and I'm embarrassed and ashamed and he was there and I, I saw that and I tried to help him and I catch him and it's like mm, it's really hard to hurt someone who who um, is the only respite from your fear and suffering and I don't have to say that but that's how that happened and over time he stopped calling me stupid stopped hitting me stopped being violent well, he, like,
2: trusts, he started trusting me
0: exactly and he's never they've never been able to get him to do anything other than and that.
2: that's why I, I was saying when I was a kid I didn't have any respect for authority that's, nobody gave a fuck about me as soon as I understood that somebody did I was like oh shit I want to learn from this person and that that is the thing where like
0: you 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 could flip and like that's not where I wasn't thinking I was trying to fix him or any of that stuff I just realized that oh I want this kid to do math and read because I want him to be competent so he can have a good life that's what a good life looks like blah 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 and the teacher's wanting me to do that you know too so I'm like yeah yeah and then I'm like hmm this kid just wants to hurt me you know what screw all of this I just want to get to know this kid and I'm just going to get to know him. If he doesn't want to do work ever, I don't even care. I don't even care if he's incompetent. Like if that's really what he wants, that's what he wants. And if he shows anything else, I'll be ready every day. That's how you have to respond it's, to adults. Yeah. That's well. that's how you have to respond to, to people, not even just, just to people. That's how you have to respond to yourself.
2: Yeah, for sure. Because
0: you'll have even those days. And like, if you kick yourself down when you're really not feeling it, you're going to really create some emotional turbulence that'll, You know, cause dysfunction, or if you let yourself completely slide, you're gonna cause dysfunction. It's
2: that's one of the things that I was really fucking around with when I was doing that isolation for all that time. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, all I need, all I want to do is I want to be the guy who shows up and does the thing like that he sets out to do, that he commits to. Mm -hmm. Like, that's really important to me, but I wasn't, Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing it. And it was like, I would be inspired and then I would be like, "Oh, fuck yeah, I'm going to do it now." And I'd feel like doing it, but then I'd set the bar so high for myself. I became the authority figure. Mm. And I was like, "But you don't fucking care about yourself, so fuck you. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing it." And then it was just like this thing, and I was battling with that for all that time. Yeah,
0: yeah. But in the end though, you're like you're learning that that was that battle was a dialogue between different compart- compartments of your own self, right?
2: And I I respect the guy, the part of myself that Puts me under pressure to get shit done, mm-hmm. and I also respect a part of myself who needs to trust that person. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, yeah. like uh, so it's
0: it's a lie. It's a it's the middle way, right? It's a fine line between on both of those ends because either one of those ex, those on its own in its extreme is harmful, but. Adjusted appropriately for the situation and for for the day. Yeah, right. It's it's optimal, and that's even with the kid, because the kid was like, the kid is, <laughs> that kid's fucking violent, man. Like, there's no way, there's no way to get around it. You're not gonna, he's not gonna not want to be in like a fighting scenario. What what do you do? come on man like and that's like who's gonna make him more violent it's Like, no he is violent yeah let him be violent in an appropriate and way that you you know manage all this shit like, yeah and because it, it's the, that's the thing is like there is like there are these aspects of who you are as a character and you are never gonna make them go away <laughs> you're, you're just gonna change how you interact with them that's it
2: it can be uh little cabin on a mountaintop Mm -hmm. somewhere where you go and isolate yourself to face your shit. Yeah. Or it can be a padded room where you get fucking locked in there and you're forced to face your shit. Mm -hmm. Or you can put yourself in a cage where you can't hurt anybody except for the other guy who's also putting himself in a cage to face his shit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And there's a um there's a really fun book. Well, I guess I, I don't know why I'd characterize it as fun, but I I very much enjoyed it. I gotta read it again. Is uh Victor it's a Man Search for Meaning oh, yeah, by Victor I read, I read
2: that in high school. Yeah, I dude, I love that book.
0: And especially with like log logotherapy and how like uh what is it that people have an inherent desire for meaning. And like, especially for dysfunction, like you overcome all of the the things, the things that you've struggled with, like the the difference between why you'd overcome them and then someone else would submit to them. Right. And just be in dysfunction for a very long time or for their whole life even is like they're they didn't have a sense of meaning that made it worthwhile to to bear bear your burdens. The and sense of meaning suffering.
2: is in the suffering. Yeah. Yeah. It that's exactly the thing. It is. Nothing worth having isn't worth suffering for. Mm-hmm. And like, Oh man. Well, well,
0: actually, no, I would, I'd actually disagree in some fashion because like I'd agree that the, the meaning is within the suffering, but where people can get into a conflict is this, a conflict and arrive in some form of dysfunction, not all form, but a lot of them is with pleasure seeking. Cause like you have type like pleasure seeking behavior where you, you eat pizza because it's good. I I talk to my son about this all the time. It's like, you eat pizza because it's good and it makes you feel good. Well, after you do the thing that makes you feel good, you will feel bad.
2: So that's a different type of suffering that
0: it, it is exactly. And it's not, but what it is though is it's not being able to bear the responsibility and the burden of enduring the suffering. So you give way and choose the greatest amount of pleasure that is the most accessible with the least amount of suffering. But when you do that, Almost every time when you do that, you will then, suffering will ensue. Because, right. like, you drink, you drink a lot, you get a hangover, right? You, you know, you do a lot of coke, you do some math. like, I've looked it up. You do, if you try, if you try meth and you try to go, go off on it for, like, once every other weekend, right? Because I was just curious about my sister, like, because <laughs> um, I'm like, well, maybe I'm judging her. And then, like, like once every other weekend, even that will literally, will call, it was called autophagy, cause autophagy, where but you're the meaning is still
2: down. in the suffering because pain is a messenger and eventually you'll get the message and the meaning will be there. And that's the meaning that you're creating for your life at that time.
0: The, the, that's the hope is that, that, that one will, one will be able to, to get the, um, to learn from the suffering and then be able to in- take on, um, voluntarily and endure the suffering up front to then happen upon pleasure. Right. Cause like, cause I, I wouldn't, cause like I said, I've, I've met a lot of people and even outside of the people that I've met, I've read about, like there's subgroups of people who they just completely submit to the suffering. And then they do the thing that is like, you know, they, they have pleasure-seeking behavior and then they're hyperindulgent and then that indulgent causes catastrophe and they're merely just putting on more indulgence and more or more pleasure-seeking behavior and more pleasure-seeking behavior to minimize the catastrophe. And then they're caught in this like loop and that loop is, is like, it is inverse. It, it's suffering, right? Because suffering is inevitable, but it is destructive and dark. It's like uh, Angela's Ash is another good example. It's a wonderful book. But in that book, the dad, like, sorry, spoiler alert, but the fucking dad's an alcoholic and they're in the, during the depression, they're Irish. So everyone hates them. And like, um, the, uh, the two boys have their two boys, about eight years old, watch their two brothers die of, um, the, pneumonia and then, uh, and famine. And then their sister died of, uh, like, you know, sudden infant death syndrome or whatever. And then their dad, like their mom having to give them water and sugar mixed together to feed them because they can't afford food because their fucking dad's an alcoholic and spends it all, all the money on, you know, like alcohol. And the mom's not allowed to work because they can't, chicks can't work then, right? Like, um, what do you call it? You, you just have have these people where, I don't even know where I, I lost it on that, but like, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> there's, there's a wealth of, of people out there that experience that. Regardless of the situation, they're rich, poor, um, you know, in third world country, first world country, people who are who are caught in this cycle uh, of just complete and total just sad destruction. And and even with that, though, joy can still be found in the person who is sitting amongst that. Right. Like who is the, the child who's feeling the repercussions from their 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 listless father. Um, and there's a way out because there's because it's still the same thing, but it's it's suffering pleasure instead of pleasure, suffering.
2: I think the message, though, the the meaning in it is the the accepting the lack of control. Yes. Because it's not actually pleasure seeking, it's control seeking. Mm. Because if you look at people on the opposite end of the spectrum who have privilege, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: what do those people do with their time? A lot of people who don't have to struggle to get by, they create their own struggles. And it's either through... Seeking pleasure through like a self destructive means mm-hmm. or going out and doing something like climbing a fucking mountain mm-hmm. that in like below freezing weather. And it's some crazy fucking shit that nobody without privilege would even be able to attempt. By the way, I'm very afraid of Heights and yeah. yeah. Well, like these people are pleasure seeking by suffering seeking Mm -hmm. and it's all about control. Yeah. Like, but that's the thing is there's nothing wrong with the privilege. I don't think there, I think Mm -hmm. so many times in my life I've been really unhappy with my situation and it's like, I had one person ask me like, what is it that you're unhappy with? And I was like, well, I'm, I want to be a warrior, Mm -hmm. but I want to pick my battles. Like I want to be able to apply my wisdom to choosing my battles Mm -hmm. rather than having to apply my wisdom just in battles that chose me. Mm -hmm. And like Mm -hmm. when you get to a point where, your life where you've got your shit together enough that you can choose your battles and you Mm -hmm. can actually set, you can make your matches Mm -hmm. like you, you can choose what battle you want to do. You're going out and you're creating a fucking, uh, simulated, uh, like a simulated war for yourself so that you can Mm -hmm. adapt further in life and become even more resilient. Like, when it becomes a game and it's just like of your own f- you're concocting these ideas and then actually making them real mm-hmm. like that is fucking privilege but there's nothing wrong with it that's beautiful
0: it, it, well, it's, it's beautiful and it's encouraged because that's the thing is like when I see someone who, who who is literally riding the fucking you know short short bus to hell in that sense like they're just having a really hard lot with life and it's like oh dude if you want to come and like do any of these things that I like do like give me a place on the way there and I'll pick you up kind of thing. Right. I'm happy to do that because the whole thing that, that, that I've come to terms with in in my transition from, from being in one perspective of dysfunction and then the other still dysfunctional, but just, I have a different, um, different cycle, different, different form of meaning. And like, I, I voluntarily seek out discomfort and suffering and, and it's like putting more weight on the
2: bar once you've adapted
0: to it. it, Exactly. And, And that's what they, they had with the whole, like Victor Frankel's man search for meaning thing is is like you know when you you find something that is meaningful to you that any that any burden is worth bearing and that's like what Nietzsche said is like um uh what is it It's any man with a y or you can do anything with if you have a y or something like that I don't fucking remember what it
2: was I think in the parking garage though it. regardless of whether you're pleasure seeking or Mm -hmm. you're suffering seeking or whatever, I think it all comes back to the same place because you're control seeking. Yeah. It all comes back to like this, I cannot satiate myself. Mm -hmm. I cannot satiate this.
0: I see. I've seen like so, so
2: because the hedonic treadmill. Yeah,
0: yeah. because I I have a friend and she's a mountaineer and she used to be an alcoholic and she's very much of the mindset of like once an alcoholic always an alcoholic and like with mountaineering is she's just like picking more and more mountains to send and sending bigger routes and like um, you can very much see that. That the same thing, the same foundation or the same path that she was walking with an alcoholism perhaps could be put onto mountaineering because It's very positive. She leads like nonprofits, takes addicts up there and like has a high success rate of taking addicts, mountaineering. And they're like, Oh, I love this. Nope. And then they go and they mountaineer more. And, um, but it's very interesting cause it fulfills all of those things. And that's what like my whole, I guess it's kind of circling back around, but the whole podcast was about was like exposing people to that. Like this author over here is, just equally as obsessed and inexperienced as hell as you do, whoever that person is out there who might be drinking a little bit too much or, um, you know, smoking a little bit too much weed without doing things that are meaningful to them or, you know, eating too much or any of those things. And, like, seeing that that those are just merely, like, you know, problems and the spice of life and, and it is how you cope and try to um, sit with those with those experiences that very much defines your path next, you know?
2: Yeah. I guess it's like the ability to adapt to a change in trajectory, recognize that like what you're experiencing, what you're doing
0: Mm -hmm.
2: is like, if you don't end up where you thought you'd end up, that doesn't mean you missed your mark. Yeah. It just means that like, (laughs) It's you never fucking end up where you think you're going to no. go. that's the thing is like whether you're pleasure seeking control seeking suffering seeking or in that hedonic treadmill or whatever like when you're going around the parking garage when you're when you're rock climbing whatever you're doing you're setting goals for yourself and it's like the next biggest thing and you're always trying to get better mm-hmm. it's like once you get there how fucking good do you actually feel mm-hmm. or do you just like get there and you're like oh what's the next thing yeah yeah like because I think the problem is where when you you look at that thing as the end all fucking, like, that is like that is the goal. Like, I guess that this is the thing that's going to make me who I want to be. Mm-hmm. You said earlier, death isn't the end. And you said it never ends. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the nature of of the fucking parking garage. Mm-hmm. And like the the control seeking is like usually because we want to get to this point where we're finally fucking happy and like paradise yeah and and it doesn't fucking exist and and accepting that like a change that when you get there it's not what you thought or maybe sometimes you get somewhere that you didn't think you were going mm-hmm. the change in trajectory or the unexpected fucking obstacle or the like unexpected fucking location in in the on the map of life like mm-hmm. it, it's you're charting unknown territory and that's a beautiful fucking thing but when you're looking for familiarity and control mm-hmm. it's daunting as fuck yes it is do you ever meditate um yeah you ever have that
0: feeling that you know there's a feeling there's feelings like your emotions like you know how i how I feel or what I'm experiencing, you know, happiness, um, you know, fear, anger, sadness. And then there's like the observer, right? Where the part, the one that's observing like, oh, I am happy, who's the I, right? Like, do you forget those moments and they're rare for me, but... Where you have so much space in between the the feeling and the one who recognizes the feel, recognizes the feeling, like you're so detached from the feeling itself that you can almost look at it as if it were another object that you can look over and turn over in your own hand.
2: Yeah, I love that feeling.
0: And. To, to know, to, to play with that and to, to try to understand like the, like the experience, even the experience of like nervousness, right? Like to be able to hold enough space so that you're not overtaken with nervousness, but you can like see your body react with nervousness, right? You can see like, oh, you're like, oh, how's the crowd? Like I'm in a room, right? And there's all these people in there and I'm watching a comedy show and I'm going to go up and I'm nervous. And, um, one time would be, like me completely entrenched in nervousness is like, I wonder what they're going to think of me. I wonder how my set's going to go. Oh, what that person's looking at me. Oh, maybe I should scoot over. Someone's behind me, like all these things. Right. But then there's like those other moments where it's like, I'm nervous. So, I, I feel my body tense, have yeah. tension and I'm like, Oh, well, you're a little tense. And then like, I, I want to dart like my eyes, like I want to look around the room and I'm like, Oh, you kind of want to scan the room right now. And I don't though. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm just there, like kind of feeling it out. And I'm like, like metacognition, it, 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 yeah, yeah. And like th- that level though, that level of, of awareness, right. Which is fleeting for me. Um, is is beautiful and i try to take comfort in that because much like when it is hot or cold i am still will like not even my identity i'm just i'm this person who's observing who's a witness to this moment mm-hmm. right and like learning to to be sad in to just to to be sad and that's like not even that it's okay it just is it is sadness and it is fear and it is anger and it is happiness it feels so good like it feels so good to be able to be with that and like observe it and not let it completely take you over to where you're not to where you try to control it right yeah and like i try to explain that to kids in a variety of ways it's Fucking almost... I don't even know if I can curse on this, but... It, it, you know you can curse. It's Okay, it's fucking impossible in the sense that... Of course, I can't just explicitly under explain it. It's hard for me to even understand. I only understand in, like, narrative and, like... But trying to get them to understand it, because I watch them. Kids are so obvious, man. I try to get them to go from, like... Here to across the street. I don't know. I can barely measure, like, 50, 100 feet, right? And, like, it's up an incline, <laughs> pretty steep ass, like, steep incline. Like, you got to sometimes put your hands down there in the mud so you don't slip and fall on your knees, right? And, like, the whole time, they're like, huffing and puffing, and then I see their faces, and they're like... <sighs> why are we doing this? And then like, oh, I can't believe I'm done with this. We got to go through more. Like all of these like experiences, right? And it's just their body because their body's not used to this. And like from an outsider point of view, it's way easier to just like watch this and be detached from it all. Dude, but like,
2: like that serves me every fucking day, mm-hmm. the ability to do that. Like at work, mm-hmm. I, I deal with high pressure situations pretty frequently. And I work with people like adults who have behavioral issues mm-hmm. and like, um, I'm like, uh, or in high pressure conversations, mm-hmm. um, that I would have avoided just a couple years ago, like being able to tune into my own body and be like what's and recognize what's happening and then having the tools to like be able to respond to it and and like care for myself in that moment mm-hmm. and still communicate calmly and and have like the wherewithal to like think what is the right way to respond to this verbally and mm-hmm. like I I learned that from martial arts from being in the ring mm-hmm. and and before fights learning how to like calm myself and mm able the ability to call myself in the ring as well because like my body would my lower body would go numb Mm -hmm. and also like uh yeah from like fight or flight response like my adrenaline and shit like my body would like i couldn't my footwork my rhythm and the lower half of my body didn't match up with the rhythm of the upper half so Mm -hmm. it was all fucked up yeah yeah. um but also like i sing Mm -hmm. and if i'm tense or nervous, I can't sing in front of people. Mm -hmm. Like my voice just doesn't cooperate. And there's so much, um, like so many little micro adjustments that you have to be able to make while you're singing. And I can't even tune into it because my anxiety and nervousness and like just the tuning into my body in that moment and recognizing like what you're talking about, like being that I'm, I am, it's like seeing myself from that outside perspective, I guess, Mm -hmm. and recognizing basically my interest in the outcome of this situation diminishes. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just a person in this situation with this other person. We're just humans learning how to be humans together. um, In this high pressure situation. And I have no interest in winning. It's just like, a learning experience and how can I calm myself right now? Because like, I want to learn and I can't learn if I'm not calm and I want to be curious and I want to like connect, like it's all about connecting even when I'm in the cage with somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I just, yeah, it's, it's been one of the most powerful tools for me to be able to like, to feel my heart rate and feel my, my, I feel it happens all the time. Like when I'm in bed at night and shit and I'm like (laughs) supposed to be sleeping and I realize I'm holding my breath. Like why, why am I not sleeping? And then I realize I've been holding my breath and thinking about shit that makes (laughs) me anxious. And I'm like, and I'm just like, Oh, and I'd like have this like detached moment where I'm just, it's not detachment. It's I'm present with myself, (laughs) but I become the person who's holding me (laughs) and like, yeah, it happens all fucking day, dude. It's such a powerful thing. I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but... No, yeah, and,
0: like, he even made me think of something else, which is the, the thing that, that really helps just with the life skills in general, right, and under, helping to understand yourself a little more and and overcome any of the dysfunction that you have is, like, it's... That meaning, right? And sure there's like a philosophical sense of meaning. And I'm not really even talking about that. It's more like we like were just saying with being in the cage, like you or better yet, singing, right? You realize you have all of this tension and you have to learn how to ease this tension and
2: so such a vulnerable experience. It's, it, it's ex- terrifying.
0: Exactly. And then even then you have to you have to work on like your insecurities, right? And your anxieties. Um, but if I were to just meet you and you were never to sing and I I would be like, oh, this guy's pretty insecure and this guy, I can see he's pretty anxious, right? I'm like, okay, Benjamin, so you shouldn't be insecure and you shouldn't be anxious. Like, so, like, <laughs> well, fuck
2: <yeah>. you, dude. <laughs>
1: and
0: if you're, you're really, you're a great person, right? And you here's some skills, maybe, you know, picture everyone with their underwear, <laughs> stuff like that, you know, like coping skills. And you're just like, oh, okay. Like you have no rhyme or reason to implement them. But then when you have this thing that you care about and it's, your dysfunction is causing obvious obstacles to further yourself and what you care about. That is the means in which you understand life and you understand your own self. And that's like, that is like, I don't, I hate to be dogmatic about that, but I'm, I've been in my experiences in school anyways, with whether it's um, children with emotional and behavioral disabilities or whether it's in just conventional school. um, That's the biggest thing is like, I, you know you're trying to teach them about life and it's like you know here's the curriculum that I laid out here's the very like hard set facts of life and like of English and you know math and it's like you never really teach them like cool shit to do with math that you might want to use math like you learn math because you want to do this Mm -hmm. Like I like robots oh you gotta learn math I guess so. Yeah, sure. Like, You know what I mean? Like, I'm anxious and I don't want or I'm afraid to talk in front of people. It's like, well, you got a book report. So let's go and write this book report. You better do it and you'll get an A, right? And that's going to make you feel good. But if you like, listen, there's this thing called comedy and you can say, you can try to say some wild shit, but you're gonna have to be able to get people on your side so that you can get away with it, and it's funny. Or you can say some not so wild shit, but it can be really interesting and ironic, and you know, and so on and so forth. So here's poetry, and you can just pour your heart out, and it's like ooh pouring my heart out, or ooh making people laugh. That sounds cool, but you're gonna have to be in front of everyone. Oh, well, I guess. And then that's, that's the trick, right? It's like, even the kid that I work with, it's like, okay, you get to do some, you got to do jujitsu. <laughs> I'm going to teach you how, how to do um, if arm bars, knee bars, I'm teach you chokes, strangulations, all those things. And it's like, but you can't hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. And if you do, you're out here and all of these people will be able to defend themselves and ensure that you don't hurt them before you even try. Mm-hmm. So I guess I got to care about other people. I guess it's usually not the best scenario, but it's like you there are these problems that you have and usually the way that one could work through your problems is it being a consequence of doing what you wanted to do like I I guess it's illegal but I don't care um, <laughs> like I would have I would smoke cigarettes and at the time I, I quit all drugs when my son was born and I just smoked cigarettes and drink coffee right those were the two things I held on to <laughs> Like four years later, five years later, I'm starting to do activities and learning about myself and developing interests. So I'm like, OK, I'm going to go and revisit these things because if I just completely abstain from them and well, i not I don't really have skill in that area. I'm just hiding from it. OK, so let me try to figure out what the problem was here. Right. And work on it. And then um, I work on it and I get to, you know, doing certain drugs that that I find like useful tools like psychedelics and not even just useful tools, useful tools and enjoyable experiences. Experiences that are value to me, and that don't cause me um, long-term harm. Right? Mm. That um, that are good for me. Um, even if not temporarily. I'm saying that because I don't drink, but if people drink and, like, it doesn't make you, might not be great for you to, you know, to drink uh, rec- slightly recreationally, then you, of course, still go do that. Like, there's a way to, to walk that line, right? And But for me, okay, I find these drugs that are enjoyable to me and then they help me in my own way. And I start doing those and I'm doing martial arts and I'm like, well, these drugs aren't causing me any issues. Um, but... <laughs> I smoke cigarettes. Still and fuck man, like what if what they say about it, you know smoking cigarettes about it impeding your cardiovascular skill is right? Like I've been smoking since I was eleven, and I hack up like phlegm, three hundred and sixty five days of the year, and like all the time I get sick all the time, feel like shit's hampering like my immune system. Yeah, this
2: is how good I am at all the things that I do now. How much better could I be? Exactly, and that's
0: what it was because like I try to quit smoking cigarettes in the past, and I just struggle and struggle and struggle, and like. This time, I'm like, hmm. Well, if I stop doing this, then yeah, I can maybe I can be better at this. So then I go take mushrooms, <laughs> and then I have like this whole experience where I see I'm out in the the um, desert and I see these rocks and they look like I'm scared of snakes. They look like snakes. I'm like freaking out. I take a big heroic dose and by myself and like a heroic dose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I, it took an ounce. So like holy and, shit. Yeah, and yep. I've been taking mushrooms for. um a moderate amount of time and I wouldn't recommend anyone doing that or being, you know, being alone even for that matter. But I got my own shit.
2: Um, <laughs> Don't do it. <what> I do. <laughs> yes.
0: So I was out in the middle of like the, the, the desert or whatever. And I see all these rocks. I think they're snakes I'm freaking out and like just having a, a difficult trip. And then I come back to my car and I'm like laying down in my car waiting for it to go away. And, I'm like smoking my uh, my e-cigarette like vigorously and I just like think about it and I'm like <sighs> when I'm away from it if I leave it at my house no matter how, I've driven I've driven 30 minutes back to my house and then continued on my trip again. I've added an hour to my trip time because I left that fucking thing in my house. And I'm like, and every time you get nervous, you smoke it like a lot, right? And it even distracts you from doing the thing. And like, look at you now. You're out here supposed to have this good time and like enjoy yourself and get some introspection and like you're just sitting here obsessively smoking this thing and like playing with the smoke. It's like, what, what does this really do for you? And then I come out of it and you know, the next day and it's like, I look at it. I'm not really interested in it and from there I just put it away don't necessarily attribute it to like the mushrooms entirely but it mainly had to do with the realization that what i wanted was more important than what this thing was doing for me and like
2: it was a mindfulness of what it's like we go i feel like we go through life like experiencing all these things like what you're talking about mm -hmm. non-consciously and that's true, I mean, like the majority of our processes are non conscious yeah. like of our thought processes, and like um, we're too, like we've been talking for like twenty minutes now about about mindfulness,
1: mm-hmm. yeah
2: about like having those moments of mindfulness where you recognize these non conscious things, and now you're able to reflect on your own habitual thoughts and and I mean, I believe that feelings and thoughts are behaviors because they're habits. And the beauty of that is that we can, those are all malleable things. And like in that moment of mindfulness, and that was an extended period of mindfulness because of what you were doing with the mushrooms, like you were able to transform yourself. You were able to like you're able to take advantage of that malleability Mm -hmm. yeah and i
0: help push myself further to just deal with the same problems that i've been dealing with but in a context that is a little more sufferable right it's like I want this like and that's what I have to do with running a lot man cause like I don't know I think I hate running sometimes I think most <laughs>
2: runners hate running <laughs> hey, cause but that's like, what they love about it yeah it's,
0: <laughs> it, I, so I, I do the trip out to Staheek I make the attempt out there I'll just make this fast but like I go out there and it's like supposed to be a 45 mile day and I haven't put in a 45 mile day in a little bit it's cause I've just been caught up with like climbing hanging out with my son and stuff and being unemployed and like <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, okay, because it's harder. When I had work and stuff, it was so much easier. My son had school because then I could, like, build it around there, and I had a lot of more free time with running because he'd be in school and I'd still be out of work, right? Or I'd get off work early, whatever. And, like, I'm out there, and I'm doing this run. This happens so much on these fucking long runs. I It's... it's I get up at 12 at midnight and then I get everything ready. I leave. I get to the trailhead by like 3 a.m. Um, it's going to be 45 miles and 8,000, 7,000 feet of elevation gain and then down. Right. And, um, basically, Stahican is a town that you can only get to by foot, boat. Um, or plane um, It's on a hiking trail called the PCT Which goes from like Mexico Through the United States up to Canada And so these people who are hiking this trail They're the main people who go into this town Every year So it's like any kind of like fantasy book That you would read with like fucking tropes And shit coming through that That would be like the, the town in the modern day for it and like so super excited to go out there it sounds fun it's three in the morning i'm i feel pretty good and then i start running and like within i don't know hour and a half right stars are out i'm out in the out in the mountains um and it's beautiful i'm loving it and then my um i hit like I cross i hit a stream know, yeah, well, I hit a I hit a river and there's no way to cross the river. It's like yeah, 3:30 in the morning, no way to cross the river. It's about hip heights and it's rushing. I don't want to turn around. So I try to go through the river and I'm like scared cause I don't want to get pinned under a rock and I don't want to get sucked down the river. So I found a way to like safely navigate it. But the, the water is a hip height while I'm not wading through it, trying to pin myself and like, all I have is sheer terror. And it's like, why am I doing this? I want to give up. Like, this is, this is like absolute suffering in the sense of just, just fear. Right. And like, I, why would I come out in the middle of the mountains? I could have just, you know, stayed home and not driven two hours one way to come out here and do this. This is fucking horrible. So I've all always doubt, but I push through and I keep going. And then I hit a part in the trail where it's so overgrown with bushes that go up to my my um, my um tits, I guess. Um You can't even see the trail. And so I'm pushing through it. It's five in the morning. The sun's starting to break. And this is when I'm starting to climb. I'm at like mile, I don't know. Um, 10 or something and mm, now I'm out eight but all this stuff's wet and I didn't expect that so I didn't have I just had like kind of shorts and a, a shirt on I'm used to the cold. So I, I kind of dress, I had stuff in the back just in case, but all of it's wet and it's cold and it's dew, And I'm just like, by the time that I get through it for like five miles, I can wring out my shirt. I can wring out all my shoes. I was only able to walk the whole time. My calves are burning and I'm at mile like 16 now. The sun's up. It's like six in the morning, and now I have to go down two thousand feet and then climb three thousand feet. Um, or no, climb climb another two thousand, right? And all I want to do is go home.
2: It sounds like fucking nap time.
0: It, it's it was, and that's what it was. Like my, <laughs> my legs, my legs, they were they were getting sore. Um, running was I was able to run the downhill, but then when I had that last like two, th- two to three thousand foot climb, my legs were burnt. I, like, I wanted to stop a lot, and the only way out was back to my car, which was, um like, 12 miles away, and 2,000 feet up, and then 3,000 feet down, and then, like, another 1,000 feet up again, and I'm at my car, and, like... All I can think is, is that I wanted to cry and lay down and just not stop. And I was just like, there was, I would rather have been rock climbing. Even right when I got out of my car that morning, I was like, I'd rather have been rock climbing. If I could do anything, I'd want to rock climb. Like that sounds like fun. But then I keep, I'm at that point, I'm wanting to cry and I push through it and I go up and go down and it gets like, it gets bad and then it gets good because I create like these coping mechanisms and I have these conversations, like inner dialogues and like a breakthrough, like psychological breakthroughs where I'm like, this is the best ever. And then I'm like, oh, ah, i do that like at least 10 times over over that whole time and like it's just it's there's one point where i would where i would stop a lot and they call that the death march where you're like you're kind of walking and you're doing everything you can (laughs) yeah 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 And i'm like the longer it takes the longer it's gonna take to get back so you need to go back now and by the time i get to my car i um I'm like, oh my god! Thankfully, that's done. I'm never gonna fucking run again. And then I go and I pick my son up, and then we go to jujitsu. And I'm at jujitsu. Super you went tired. From that to yeah, dude. I'm all. <laughs> and like, we're well. I'm te- teaching the kids jujitsu class and stuff. And like all I want to do is pass out. You're in your and,
2: spats and you got fucking like scrapes all over well, your body. Right, from the
0: right, right before I came, cause I was coming back a little late cause I ended up like just was doing the death march and never expected that to happen off of that run. Cause it was, you know, only like 45 ish miles. And like, um, I had to cut it 35 cause I didn't make the right time, but like I didn't expect to go that bad. So I ended up getting a shower real quick when I got home so that I can go to jujitsu cause I never want dirty feet on the mats. It just yeah. so bad. And like the, so I picked him up and we go and do, that and like yeah I want, I want to go sleep and then I'm talking to my um, training partner and my business partner Alfie and I'm like so I don't think dude I'm dropping from the 100k which is 60 eight point three miles or sixty three point eight miles some shit. It's a circumnavigation of Mount St. Helens um for trail run. Like I'm dropping that down to forty miles. Fuck this. I, I can't I can't do this. I don't ever want to do this. I'm not gonna run over a marathon anymore. This is it. And I'd rather climb and then do jujitsu. No. And then um I was in a good mood though. It was a great trip. It was beautiful out there. And then like <laughs> the next day like my legs weren't sore at all, nothing. And hmm I wonder what other trips I can plan and I'm like what is wrong with you I don't because yeah. this happens every time on this long shit and I'm just like thinking about other trips I you know and like itching to go out for a run and I'm just like this is fucking weird and then I think about it too and I'm like do you even like the wilderness because you go out there and you try to get out get back to your car as fast as you fucking can like what? You, and I just still can't figure out what I'm doing but the biggest thing that it is is like there's no other time where I, where I suffer uh, okay so that between that and rock climbing, there's no other time where I suffer greater, except when I was immersed in dysfunction.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, Cause like rock climbing I'm afraid of heights And all I think about Is that I'm gonna die I'm gonna die I'm gonna die And
2: Fuck dude I, I, I feel like we need to do An episode yeah, two Yeah absolutely Because I know, I like there's When everything <laughs> that you say I just feel like I could respond to Like, like awesome. I'm like fuck That makes me think Of another thing Yeah But it's been Two hours yeah. And seven minutes And I gotta get some sleep for Okay tomorrow. to wrap this up Yes I always do this Is there anything That you would like to Like a thing That you would like to plug or just like a concept that you really want to put out there for anybody who might be listening, like a thought yeah, it's just experiment
0: or anything. A nice thing to remember is it's not what you do, but how you do. And we all have dragons to face. So. Cool. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Thank Please you. Speak. Thanks, man. Yeah, sorry about that. That was, that was fun. <laughs> sorry about what? I, don't know. I always run long. <laughs> thank you guys for listening to that episode of the podcast if you'd like to learn more about benjamin you can find him at authenticwarrior.org and at benji warrior with love on instagram and check out his show authentic warrior radio it's pretty rad with an interesting and eclectic collection of individuals um and I hope you guys enjoyed listening to a little more of a backstory about what got me into podcasting and how it's helped me grow as an individual and the challenges that I've overcome. Just leading my lifestyle. And it's rife with its own set of struggles and adversity and, and beautiful, beautiful moments. Like all of us, right? And that's like the most liberating thing out there is that you are the most iconic or fascinating individual you can imagine that has ever lived. And you are also the most treacherous and vile person that has ever lived. You can be all of those things because we are one part of humanity. All all it takes is some sense of direction. Wherever your desires lead you. Except for those people out there who eat fucking hairbrushes and, and couch stuffing. I haven't really figured that one out. <laughs> well, I hope you guys have been having a lot of fun with me out there. Because it's been a great experience and none of it could happen without you guys. So if you'd like to learn more, you can find us at becominghumanpodcast.com you can find me on Instagram at becominghumanpodcast and on iTunes Google Play, Stitcher wherever you happen to listen to podcasts as Becoming Human Podcast. you can even check out my company City Rain Co. if you'd like to lather yourself with some fucking CBD to make yourself healthy oh yeah. and smooth and all that other shit Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Till next week, y'all. Cheers.